I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as monsters, killer sharks, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Holy shit, it's been a while since we've done this. I told you guys we'd be back. <laughs> I just had to find my cousin first. <laughs> As you guys know, we've only done one episode this season, and it was in, like, fucking February. <laughs> I've done a couple I'm sorry episodes, little bonus episodes where I covered some stuff, because shit just happened between the two of us, and we couldn't record. So I'm not going to go into all that again. I'm not going to go over news, because I think I went over four months worth of news on the bonus episode a week or so ago. I am sad that we missed... April 1st, because that was going to be a very fun, time-honored tradition. Maybe we'll just make one for the fuck of it. I was going to say, either that or, you know, it's still going to be a tradition. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> and we missed another Friday the 13th, but we've been putting off doing that one forever. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to do the Friday the 13th series. We could just do something for Friday the 13th. Yeah, there's there's that, and the, the, the Leprechaun movies are going to come around St. Patty's Day some year. <laughs> <laughs> I've still been really contemplating, do we have to do whole franchises? Like this episode in particular, I was almost like, can we just call it here? Do we have to do the other two? <laughs> because I want to do Critters at some point, but I just want to do Critters. I don't want to do any of the other ones. I just want to do Leprechaun. Like one and two with Leprechaun maybe, but uh, I don't know if we have to do three and four of Jaws right after this. We'll see. It's up for debate. In case you didn't listen to the bonus episode... We did get the rights to slicebyslice.com. So things are going to be transitioning over to that now. You can actually get to our website that way. And I'm going to start using that in the future for putting more information on there and then having the, the podcast is like a little sub link off of it. But that was kind of cool. And we're working on getting it everywhere else now. So yeah, yeah. No more GeoCities for us. <laughs> Angel fire, bitch. <laughs> um, I don't know if we have any updates and corrections. I feel like I did it on one of the bonus I'm sorry episodes, but it's been four months. I don't really care. And I think I had a 10-minute tangent on what I watched when I did that little solo bonus episode. The only recent things to add is I'm finally almost finished with Ash versus Evil Dead. Damn. Because I somehow forgot to watch the last season of that, and I started over from scratch. <laughs> I have one more episode of Stranger Things to go. I feel like I've watched something else since then, but I've played a lot of video games because Evil Dead, the game, came out, and it's fucking amazing. And then I've been playing V Rising, this vampire game that came out. So I've been doing that more than watching TV shows and working on a screenplay and storyboarding for a short, which is harder to do than I thought. <laughs> what have you done in a very small, concise, recent window? You don't have to cover the first quarter of the year. Um, I've worked my ass off, but I do have to bring up a couple of things that I watched. Um, okay. There's the Ty West film X. That's, uh, have you okay. seen that? They're doing a 70s porn shoot, and it's kind of kind of leather-facey. No, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. It's actually a remake of a movie called X. Oh, that makes it even and worse. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I kind of want to see it. I almost watched it at David's the other night. We met up to watch the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show that just came out. There was like two episodes, and we okay. wanted to watch something horror, and we almost watched that, but I got David to watch Silver Bullet because he'd never seen it before. Okay, much better choice. So no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> was it okay? Dude, uh, Studio 666, the uh, fucking Foo Fighters, Scooby-Doo fucking horror movie. Okay, I wasn't going to give that time of day. Is it worth watching? fucking hilarious. 
All right. It's, all right. A, it's actually a good movie. Like when I say okay. Scooby-Doo, I mean Scooby-Doo in a good way. Like it's good. It's good. Um, it's about what you would expect. Like, but it's better than Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog was about what I expected. I like the Sonic movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had to watch the second one when it came out too. My kids love them. So like, I think their enjoyment, I get to live through them. Like my son is watching the second one on repeat. And can I just say, I just Alba was an excellent choice to play Knuckles. Oh yeah. Fucking perfect. Fucking perfect. <laughs> Um, there's a bunch of non-horror shit on my list that I'm just going to fly right past. The show Severance on Apple is really fucking good. Like really. Okay. I've heard that. Yeah. Like really good psychological fucking mind fuck. Like, you know, you binge the first season. It's like, oh God, the second season they just started shooting. We have to wait that long. (laughs) The Firestarter remake was absolute garbage. I loved it. I was about to say that. I forgot. I I watched that. I watched it twice. I love that movie. Really? I'm not saying like, oh, nothing can replace the original because I've never seen the original. Oh, okay. So going just based on, on it couldn't keep me awake. And it was like two o'clock oh, in the really? afternoon. I really liked it. It was different in a lot of ways from the original movie, but the original movie went off the rails from the book on its own. And this did it differently because it was more modernized. My mother, who's an obsessive Stephen King fan, as you know, she watched it. And she said she liked it until the end was different than the book. And it made her not like it. And I'm like, well, if you ignored the fact that it was a book first, she's like, oh, it was awesome. Because <laughs> I like how the girl just goes fucking ham at the end. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't do it, man. A couple more on here. House or a Hausu, the uh, 70s Japanese crazy ass Sam Raimi feeling fucking movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Mm-mm. My sister watched it back in the day and like it comes up on all kinds of lists and stuff. It's not as insane as people make it out to be. I think to non-horror fans, they'd give them a total shit fest in between their ears trying to figure out what's going on. But to most horror fans, it's just kind of schlocky. And what you already brought up, (laughs) Stranger Things, man, I've been kind of burnt out on it. And when we were texting about it, I'm watching it like the first couple episodes. I'm like, oh, it's kind of feeling like a caricature of itself. Like it's not in it's not in the pocket. And by the time it gets to the fourth episode, pretty sure it's the fourth episode when we really follow Max. Yeah, I'm like sold fucking sucked all the way in (laughs) like and and all the Nightmare on Elm Street like vibes and references and even some of the sound beds like i'm totally okay with it like this is this is great but you haven't got to the last episode yet stuff stuff happens in the last episode that's going to be kind of like so now we really need to see part two to figure out what they're going to do with it the score definitely is inspired in a good way by nightmare on elm street yes i really like it I think it's my favorite season since the first one. I got hooked on it a little earlier than you did. Like the first episode was a little bit uh, slow because they had to do some. um, It was kind of like it was a brand new TV show and they had to show you the characters to set them up. But I guess it's because it's been almost three years. So they were kind of doing like a recap is probably what it was. I think, well, this is a spoiler for the previous season from three years ago. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I, I don't. Maybe it comes to fruition on the last episode. And let's say the last episode and a half, because I was watching it really late and kind of dozing off. So I'm going to rewatch the one before the penultimate episode again before I watch the finale. But so far, Hopper being in Russia seems to have no fucking anything to do with the plot yet. I don't know if that changes and you don't have to spoil it for me, but it's like he got thrown into Russia at the end of the last episode or last season to kind of give you like an, oh shit, what are they going to do with Hopper? And then you just occasionally see him like in the gulag. And trying to break out, and I'm like, 
Did they just not know what to do with Hopper or something? <laughs> I think because, you know, it was supposed to this. It, this was supposed to be the last season Four was. So I'm wondering if maybe there was a pre-planned storyline that was going to make more sense about him being in Russia that was going to go somewhere. And then now that the show's been extended another season, maybe they just turned it into the filler that it feels like. Yeah, I don't know. I give him a no balls. They should have just like let him have a hero's death at the end of the last finale. And because I thought he was dead and I was like, oh, shit, my favorite character's dead. And then you saw that he was in Russia and, you know, that was just to make you get hooked. But everybody that was watching Stranger Things that holiday weekend was already hooked to come back on season four. You yeah. Know? yeah, maybe they're saving it to just bitch slap us with it, like out of the blue uh, on, on part two or next season or something. I do have to bring up that uh, there's now millions of kids out there singing Kate Bush who didn't know who the fuck Kate Bush was <laughs> until this season. <laughs> and that's pretty fucking funny. Oh, my goodness. I, don't know. I love the 80s-ness of it. I mean, I know it's like kind of spawned its own subgenre of tr- people trying to mimic it but they really harness it yeah in stranger things without it being over the top like i, I love the movie references they do too like the last like season three with all the ghostbusters stuff and shit you know yeah. and, and then uh they're making fun of like i don't want to see police academy three hard it sucks you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was scared they're gonna lose me but they uh they suck me in once again and uh all rumors are saying do not expect it at halloween horror night there's rumors between a headbutting thing between Netflix and Universal, which is total fucking rumors, nothing to back that up. But uh, just because it's not coming this year doesn't mean it can't come next year. And I forget which park it's at, but the Strode House is being built. I don't, I, I should have fucking read about this. This is just going off memory. I don't remember if yeah. it's Orlando or yeah. Hollywood, but uh, this is the 31st year for Halloween Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. So for them to not do something Halloween would be kind of dumb. But Point being, there's still a relationship between Universal and uh, Netflix. Oh, Netflix is doing their own Stranger Thing experience that's a touring thing. Okay. That's another theory of why it's not coming. That makes a lot of financial sense. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because they don't want people to be like, well, I'm not going to go to that because I already did the Halloween Horror Nights one. Yeah. Right? So yeah. like, yeah, why, why compete with yourself in marketing? But there's another season, right? another season. So we could get a, a super house with seasons four and five next year. You never know. So I'm turning 40 this year. And Josh has already turned 40 this year, but my wife and I have been trying to figure out like a 40th birthday, like kind of trip me and her could go on. And I think we're just going to crash Josh and his wife's Halloween Horror Nights trip, maybe, because it's the 31st one. And I think it'd be cool if my wife and I went with you guys. So we're going to see if we can pull that off. You just got to keep up, man. I just I just spent $200 on a pair of fucking running shoes to try to correct the problems with how I fucking walk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just buy a rower, man. I'll send you a link to a good rower on Amazon. No, man, that's making my elbow and shoulder hurt now just talking about it. <laughs> but anyways <laughs> it might not be shark week but you want to talk about some sharks <laughs> god in the car uh, show me the way to go home jesse <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about doing jaws since the first season and we had our first meeting i think it was like in the top five when i made a list of movies like i, I made a list of categories to go over with josh to meet with him the first time and I think under monsters and killer animals and stuff like Jaws popped up many times. And it's crazy that we're 70 episodes in before we do it. And this, I mean, this is a very prolific movie. Oh, yeah. The original Jaws anyways. And I had seen it a bunch when I was younger and I hadn't seen it in a while. And now that I'm like older and respect film and I think film classes and stuff like this, I'm going to go. I'm going to gush over this film. I think it is one of the best made films 
ever <laughs> on a technical level. I'm sure everybody here has seen it, but instead of doing a long backstory like I normally do and then go to the movie, I'm just going to kind of build the backstory into Jaws because this was the start of a phenomenon. This was the first blockbuster. This was the start of Spielberg's career. You know, this was the start of merchandising for film. Like, it's, it's just crazy. So I kind of want to do it all in. So, without further ado, Jaws 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg. He was 26 or 27 when he got this job, and he had only done a few TV episodes of shows, and I think he did a made-for-TV movie that bombed, but I'll explain how he got the job here in a little bit, but okay. I shouldn't have to say things that Steven Spielberg made, but Close Encounters, E.T., Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. I'm going to say he directed Poltergeist. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but, uh, you know, it's fucking Spielberg. He is possibly the most successful director ever. As far as writers, there's actually three writers, but I, I didn't write the other guy's name down because he didn't do a whole lot of it, and he's not even listed on the IMDb. But Jaws, not everybody knows this, is based off of a novel. Yep. And Peter Benchley wrote the novel, and it was at the top of the um, New York Times bestseller list when it came out, and it stayed there for a while. So NCA Universal, I think it was this is kind of the transition of the two companies, right? They wanted to make this movie while this book was hot, right? So he wrote the original screenplay, and I think he learned a lesson that I've, I've heard other authors learned. Writing a screenplay and writing prose is not the same thing, right? <laughs> and it wasn't working, and he went through several screenplays. And they eventually got a guy that was like a screenplay writer, like for theater, and it's the guy that did the Great White Hope play, right, for Broadway. He, like, touched up the story to make it more coherent. And I don't have his name. I'm sorry. Don't worry. We'll get to him in the next movie. <laughs> oh, do you got his name? Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. And then in the end, Spielberg went and got Carl Gottlieb, who had done lots of TV. He did the whole Jaws series, I think. And he did, like, The Jerk and, and Dr. Detroit and stuff back in the day. But he was, like, a comedy writer. And Spielberg, when he looked at the finished story, thought it needed comedy in it in random spots to spice it up. So we hired him and basically Carl and Steven shared a cabin on set and were writing as soon as they were done filming for the day and they would do it all night and barely sleep and go on set the next day. Like Carl's even in the movie. He's the news anchor guy following the mayor at the beginning in like a red suit. And yep. then he just vanishes because he wrote his character out of the story because he had too much writing to do. I'm busy. <laughs> but that's our director and writer. As far as a cast, I'm only going to go over the three main people, but I'll there's see. a lot of people in this film. We got Roy Scheider as Brody, 90 credits to his name. He was in a lot of shit. I would say his more famous works were probably C Lab 2032 and The French Connection, but he was really known for The French Connection. Wait, the, the C Lab cartoon? <laughs> No, no, no. The the what the cartoon is based off of, know, right? Like what it was mocking. <laughs> Hesh what sex? And the way he got, <laughs> and the way he got hired was actually really interesting. Spielberg, this was this was his cursed movie. He says this was the worst film experience of his entire career, still to this day, right? Like it was just miserable the whole time. But he was at a party, depressed because he couldn't cast Brody, and all the studio wanted was Charlton Heston. And he's like, Charlton Heston's too big for this movie. He would just punch the fucking shark to death, right, in the <laughs> face and, and kill him. And he couldn't find somebody to play Chief Brody like he wanted. And he's at this party, depressed, not talking to anybody. And Roy Scheider walks up to him, and he introduced himself, and he's like, yeah, you're from the French Connection. I know who you are. <laughs> and he's like, what's wrong, man? Tell me about your problems. I hear you're, you know, this new upcoming director. And he's like going on this tangent to Roy. 
and he just keeps going and keeps going. He's like, and I just, I just can't find anybody to, to play Chief Brody that wants to do it. And he goes, well, how about me? How about I play Chief Brody? <laughs> and, and he's like, you would do that? You know, and, and that's how they got him. I thought that was kind of great. Robert Shaw is Quint. This guy's a fucking legend. That is so great. Um, he He's great. This, this is my favorite movie of his that I've ever seen him in. But he was famous for A Man of All Seasons. He was the bad guy in From Russia with Love. He was in The Taking of Pelham 123 and so many, many other films. He's like a classically trained British actor of full fucking hardcore badassness. Yeah. And his character's awesome in this movie. And our comedy relief. Richard Dreyfus, God bless him, as Hooper. <laughs> He's so good in this movie. I mean, honestly, I can't say a role that I've seen Dreyfus in that he was bad in. Like, he's just, he's just a good guy, right? True. But he's, of course, famous from American Graffiti, Close Encounters. He's the narrator in Stand By Me. He was in Poseidon. He was in Piranha 3D. And that's just to name a few of his 127 credits. And gets around. And to round it out, I'm going to go into the special effects. There's a lot more names involved than the two I'm going to say. But I'm going to say the two main guys that, that, that worked on this film. We had Robert Maddy, and he did... Lovebug, Son of Flubber, Mary Poppins, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. A lot of Disney stuff in there, but a lot of big special effects stuff for their time, oh, right? Because yeah. let's be honest, Disney's always kind of been high up on the special effects, especially when they started putting money in Industrial Light and Magic before they even bought Star Wars, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, and then a name that, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this guy on the podcast before josh but uh, Roy arbogast Arbogast? <laughs> arbogast that's how you pronounce that last name i'm looking at it in the notes I'm like okay <laughs> yeah he comes up a lot on here um <laughs> jaws was his first big movie but he did close encounters escape from new york the thing return of the jedi christine they live he's a fucking legend yeah, yeah. in the industry and then there there were several other people but even george lucas helping break one of the robot sharks which i'll get to later nice but as I said earlier, this movie is considered the first blockbuster. When it came out, it was the most successful movie of all time. This movie made 400 and something million dollars. It was almost half a billion dollars when it came out in 75. And I did the math yesterday for inflation. This was like a $2.6 billion movie in ticket sales if they adjusted it for inflation. Look at how much the value of our money has declined, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That is for a different kind of podcast. You could probably check out Abe Lincoln's Top Hat by Ben Kissel of Last Podcast Love. I, I guarantee you they're probably covering that sometime soon. <laughs> Anyways, it was just a phenomenon that no one was expecting, especially not Universal Studios. It was Spielberg's first real movie. His previous film had bombed. And if you listen to any of the actors and writers, he was almost fired every day on set when they shot this movie. He also almost quit several times. Spielberg was not the original director. He was trying to get into working on more movies, and he had heard about Jaws being made, and a different director was going to be making it. And Spielberg had seen a movie called The Duel, and you never actually see the drivers and the car, and the car is chasing down people and stuff like that. And it kind of gave him an idea how he wanted to do this movie. So he went to Universal because he was friends with the president of Universal slash MCA. Okay. Okay. And they're really close friends. And the president's wife is actually who plays Mrs. Brody in the movie. So there was a lot of controversy on that. Like, did he just hire her because it was his buddy's wife who runs the company, right? Ah. I thought she was perfect in the role. But he went to him and, like, the producers, and he was like, look, if this guy drops out, 
I want to do this movie. This is the approach I want to take. And he wasn't famous yet. So they just kind of like, yeah, 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 we'll consider you. <laughs> but the original director kept making Moby Dick comparisons. He kept trying to adjust the story to be like Moby Dick. And he would accidentally call the shark a whale regularly. Oh, God. In meetings. And they're like, if this guy makes this book into a movie, it's going to be Moby Dick 2.0. <laughs> So they released him from his contract, and in came Spielberg. But at this point, he had been offered the job to work on a film called Lucky Lady, which ended up being a rather large film. And it had a big cast. I don't remember who all was in it. But he went to the head of Universal to talk to him because they were friends. And he's like, look, this is the script that I got to make this movie, and this is who's in it. But now they're offering me Jaws. What what should I do? And he's, he's like, yeah. Lucky Lady looks like it's going to be a pretty successful movie, but Jaws could be a game changer. And he forced him to take the Jaws job and not the other one. And he basically thought his friend had ruined his career. At that point, right? <laughs> Some crazy facts about this movie. The shooting schedule was supposed to be like 50 days, roughly. Okay. It ended up being 157. Sounds about right. He had a $4 million budget. It cost $14 million to make it. <laughs> First director, way over his shooting schedule, way over his budget. A lot of problems came from something Spielberg said, which was no ocean, no film. They <laughs> wanted him to shoot it in water tanks on the on the Universal backlot or maybe a lake or something. And Steven Spielberg felt that the ocean was a character in this movie. And you couldn't replicate the, the violence of the water and the murkiness of it. Yeah. If you didn't shoot it in the Atlantic. So you wanted to shoot it in the Atlantic, and that's going to cause a lot of the problems here. It was filmed at Martha's Vineyard, which was a huge tourist area, and a lot of objections from local people trying to get the movie shut down the whole time. We want it quiet. <laughs> I should have said this earlier when I said he cast Roy for Chief Brody, but the reason why he was wanting a very particular type of actor for Chief Brody is he wanted Chief Brody to be the audience. Okay. They were the ones that didn't understand the boat life and the living in that kind of town and didn't really understand the ocean and didn't know shit about being afraid of sharks and stuff like that was supposed to be us. That's right. Like he needed somebody that could pull that off. Right. And he, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> they made several sharks for this movie and they could not make any of them work in any fashion with any technology under almost any circumstance. They, had like a right side shark, a side shark, a from the top and bottom shark, a, a, a mouth shark, and they didn't work for shit. And by the time they barely got them working, they finally took them to the ocean and put them in the ocean saltwater and killed them, and they didn't work at all. <laughs> so then they had to swap to pneumatics and have guys with giant levers like the Wizard of Oz to pull to pump air to make things move in these things. And that didn't work well either. <laughs> and there was a story about George Lucas being on set because you always see George Lucas on the set of Spielberg movies and vice versa, right? Yeah. Like they're best friends, apparently. And they were trying to get one of the sharks working. I think this was one of the mechanical ones before they went pneumatic. And George wanted to see how the hydraulic motors worked. So he crawled in the mouth and Spielberg went and grabbed the levers and started making it fucking eat George Lucas. And he broke the robot and they had like run and leave because <laughs> they killed the Jaws <laughs> robot that they barely had working on the back set. Dicks. That is kind of funny, um, but it just, it, it constantly broke, even when they were filming all of the scenes in the movie, you know, you, you hear Dreyfus saying like, the shark's not working, the shark's not working on every interview, because that was all you <laughs> fucking ever heard, right? And I think this is what gave us Spielberg is what we know it, because he couldn't shoot the film he intended. He had to almost entirely ignore his screenplay and parts of the novel, 
because he couldn't show the shark. There's a famous quote of Spielberg's, sometimes not seeing the shark is scarier than seeing the shark. That's actually not a quote. He never said that. <laughs> oh, it's like a Mandela effect kind of thing. It, it It's more long winded, like him always saying, like, the shark looked like shit and it didn't work. And if I put this in the movie, it wasn't going to work. So he had to figure out how to make it scary without showing the shark. And he invented filming with the implication because of the implication of a shark, like the implication of the shark being in the movie had to be present and terrify you. And honestly, even if they had a perfect shark, I think this was the better way, the way they ended up going. And oh, if I didn't say it earlier, Universal's original plan was to get an animal wrangler to train a great white shark. Oh, that's that's got bad idea written all over it. Yes. Hold up the bad idea sign. They had no clue you couldn't train a great white shark. <laughs> it's the predator of the sea, damn it. <laughs> and, and with having to go back to the implications of horror. Because of the implication. You've said that word implication a couple of times. Spielberg went back to Hitchcock and just started watching Hitchcock movies. And he yeah. used Hitchcock to inspire him to do this. And he thought that the the horizon line of the ocean would just add to the terror and make the audience feel like they were drowning constantly. So he had his crew invent a water box to go around the camera so they could put the camera in the water halfway. So there's a lot of scenes where the ocean line is halfway up the camera lens, and it's yeah. in a special box that's waterproof just so that they could make you feel uncomfortable. The shark has a name. They called him Bruce. He was named after Spielberg's attorney, who was still Spielberg's attorney as of the last interview I had seen. That's an <laughs> older one. But the first 40 days of shooting, which was almost their entire what they were allowed to have schedule of shooting was the dry land scenes because they couldn't get the shark to work. And they're like, we'll start on dry land and handle all those scenes while we try to get the shark working. But we have to leave some dry land scenes for days where it's raining for days where the shark breaks, blah, blah, blah. But they couldn't get the fucking shark to work. So they shot a hundred percent of the land scenes before they nice. even started in the water. <laughs> and they had to have several boats. You had the Orca, of course, which is the boat that, Quint and Brody and Hooper used to go hunt the shark down, but they had like camera boats and they had like crew boats and stuff constantly going. All of the grips had to run back and forth on little boats. They were renting boats from people at Martha's Vineyard to help run equipment back and forth. And they built a giant barge that was basically an island. They called it the USS Garage Sale. <laughs> and that was what had all of the extra camera equipment, the sound equipment, and all the controls for the shark. And that's where the shark would get brought in on the barge and dropped into the water. And um, possibly one of the best scenes of the, this film and one of the best speeches delivered in the history of film is the USS Indianapolis scene, which I'll go into in more detail when we get there, which is a true story. And literally everyone involved worked on that speech. Like everybody got to take a crack at the script and, and adjust it. Like, okay. The writer did it. Steven worked on it. The producers worked on it. Roy Schreider worked on it. Robert Shaw worked on it. Dreyfus worked on it. Like they all tweaked it to make the scene because they thought their movie was going to fail until they shot that scene and, and Hooper and Quint showing off shark bites. And then they're like, we just made our movie. Uh, right. Like that's when they felt they had saved the movie. I have lots of other sprinklings of behind the scenes information, but with this being the first episode in a while, we've already droned on quite a bit. We'll see how the intro gets edited down. So let me let me dive into the movie and try to go through it as concisely as I can while 
speeding up and, and try to sprinkle in some more um, information. I'm sure my notes are littered with things that I just said already. So uh. we'll see. But we open up the film with an epic theme by John Williams as the camera's moving through the water, looking at uh, like fucking coral reefs and shit underwater. And and just a side note on on that theme. I mean, everybody knows who John Williams is, right? Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones. He's made all the most famous music compositions for scores of all time. And when he came in with a dunna, dunna, Spielberg looked him dead in the eye and asked him if it was a joke. <laughs> and, you know, in true John Williams fashion, it was listen to it while you watch the movie scene. And they're like, oh, my God. But anyways, we see this camera moving through the water. So we're getting like a POV, like a slasher POV, right? It's the shark swimming in the water. And we see these goddamn college kids drinking on the beach, right? And two of them start eye-fucking each other. And the guy walks over to the girl and he chats with her. And then she takes off running. And the boy starts chasing her as she's stripping down naked, right? And she's like, we're going swimming. And he just keeps saying he's drunk as hell. And he can't, like, keep up with her. And he's having trouble getting his clothes off. And he eventually just falls over and passes out, right? Yep. And this actress, this was kind of interesting because they were trying to figure out who they were going to get to do this scene. And originally, if they went off the screenplay and went off the novel, you were supposed to see the shark a lot in the scene. It was supposed to be a vicious kill, right? Okay. And they didn't know who they were going to get to do it. And they're like, we need an actress. We're going to need a stunt double. We're going to need somebody that's good with animals. Well, this woman heard about it to come get the job, and she was a stunt person and an animal wrangler. And she acted a little bit. And she knew she had to be naked in the movie. And she hates getting undressed, like, in the meetings. So she, like, just put, like, a naked picture of her in the front of her folder. She hands it to the producer <laughs> and he walks in. And he, like, opens the folder. And in the interview, he was basically, like, smitten with her. Like, looking okay. at the picture of her naked, you know. And he goes to Steven and he hands the folder. And he's like, I think she'll be great. And he's like, yeah, but can she fucking act? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, come on, Steven, help me out here, man. Because I think he was trying to impress this girl. But she made sure she let them know, look. If you put me in, I can do my own stunts. I can do the acting. And if you actually have me do anything with the animal, I'm trained to do that too. You don't have to have two or three people to do this job. I'll do all of it. And I would say she pulled it off quite well. And boobies in a PG movie, no less. Yeah, I mean, you, you really don't see the the, the boobies. Uh, no, you get full frontal from the underwater shot coming up. It's friggin' crazy. I just, I just double-checked that my copy isn't unrated. <laughs> <laughs> is this movie really PG? It really is PG, dude. 75. Jeez Louise. Didn't have a 13. But this scene right here, let me get back into it with, with our swimmer. There's a lot that happened here because you were supposed to see the shark just maul this woman alive and they couldn't fucking do it. So what they ended up doing was having like 10 ropes tied to this woman when she's in the water with different guys on different sides of the beach and on boats. <laughs> and they just start fucking yanking her every direction. And she has no control over it. You got this stunt girl. And... Right, right, right. And it was very dangerous, and she's screaming so much doing it, she got worried in the middle of filming. She's like, if something goes wrong and I start screaming, they're not going to know. No. Right? And, and and her final death scene, she gets underwater as the shark pulls her down. And I'm going to say this is one of the most horrific kills in in horror history. It, like, hits you deep when you watch it, and there's no blood, and you don't see anything happen to her. But Spielberg wanted her to go underwater in a very specific way. So he's in the wa- he was in the water the whole time when they shot water scenes in a wetsuit himself. But he's the one that grabs her and yanks her underwater. Okay. To make sure she went under the way he wanted. And then in post, he literally waterboarded her to get the scream as she went under the way he wanted over <laughs> and over again. But I guess I put the uh, 
the horse before the cart or the shark before the boat. <laughs> I, I went over the how they did it without saying she died. But basically, she's swimming, and we get this POV, shark vision. I shouldn't say shark vision because it's just normal vision. They didn't like predator color it. But <laughs> we get a POV, like, slasher-type shot underwater, as Josh was describing in intimate detail earlier, um, <laughs> of the shark going for this woman. And it basically just charges her and, and, and kills her right there. And there's just so much terror and dread in the scene with the way she's just being viciously yanked around and her screaming and stuff. It's just it's a fucking solid opening scene there. Oh, yeah. We then are introduced to Chief Brody and his wife, Ellen, and their children as we find out that they just moved to town. And they show us that by her coaching him on an Amity accent just to show, like, how far out of town he is. The ad, not too far from the car. Yeah, that's how I drive, see? <laughs> we also find out that Brody's kids do not ever listen to him on things for safety. And it, it seems like just like a throwaway scene with the kid cutting his hand open on the swing set. But it's just to show that Brody is really protective of his kids, tells them not to do shit, and then they go do it anyways. Because that's going to be very important in this franchise. Yeah, that's, that, there's a word for that. It's called foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> but... After talking with the family, Brody gets a call, and it's to come to the beach, and there's a girl missing, right? There's just a swimmer missing. That's all you know. And we see Brody talking to the drunk guy from the night before, and the guy thinks the girl drowned. He's like, I passed on the beach, and then I never saw her again. I bet she drowned in the water drunk, right? And then we hear the deputy basically blowing like a rape whistle, right, across the beach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's freaking the fuck out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he looks like he's about to hork everywhere, and we see that remains of the body of the swimmer has been found, and it's covered in crabbies, right? No, yep. not the STD kind. Um, <laughs> no, and no. dude, that that shot, just the quick interjection of how it goes from that fucking opening, because it's at night and shit, and it's fucked up how she dies, and then like, oh, here's the family real quick, and then we cut right back to her, and she's just at the bottom of the frame in that one shot, and you're just seeing their faces and everything in the reverse, and it's like, it's it's brutal, man. See, like it feels yeah. it feels like crime scene photos, like brutal when they yeah. find her, and it's coming right off of that that quick beat of the death, the family, and then this, and it's it's fucking it's a deep cut, man. And I had yeah, I was gonna save some of this for the end, but I had never watched this growing up. I had seen it in pieces, so like sitting oh, down, really? yeah, sitting down and watching it for the podcast. I'm like cheesy ass fucking seventies Jaws movie, and like eight minutes in, I'm like, <laughs> dude, this is intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see how Spielberg's career was made from this movie, but you're very right. It very much feels like a true crime documentary while also feeling like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Poltergeist <laughs> a lot of the time, too, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's a thing. But we see Brody just hacking away at the typewriter in his office, right? Trying to fill out his police report because they didn't have computers back then. And we can see how crazy it is in his office and how many people come in with non-problems because that's how it normally goes in Amity. He doesn't normally have a dead body to deal with. Yep. And we find out that they have a real big problem with these Cobra Kai kids starting fights in town, right? Uh, wait, what? <laughs> it seems that the nine-year-olds from the school have been karateing the picket fences. Yeah, man, Cobra Kai, they're everywhere. But the key takeaway here is that nothing ever happens in this town, and we see him put shark attack in the police report. Like, he's calling it that. And I don't know if it's already been said in the movie. I don't know if I have it in my notes. But Brody was a cop in Chicago 
I think it was, and dealt with a lot of violent crime. And he moved here to like have an easier life. And there's even a, a scene later when you see Quint and Hooper showing shark bite scars. And Brody pulls up his shirt and looks down at his stomach, and he doesn't say anything. And if you look, he's got bullet scars. Sounds like Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming he almost died as a cop, and he came here to have it easy until he retired. And now he's got to deal with fucking sharks. But... Brody decides he needs to shut the the beach down and he can't find any of the beach clothes signs that they're supposed to have. They're all missing for some reason. I wonder why. (laughs) So he runs the local hardware store and he buys some boards, some posts and some paint to start making his beach clothes signs. And he runs into deputy doofy and hands it off to him and tells him to do it because the deputy's letting him know that the local boys group that swims for the upcoming 4th of July event are practicing in the water right now. So Brody's like, I gotta get these fucking kids out of the water. The mayor finds out that he's closing the beach and comes up to talk to him and talk him out of it and wants to know why he thinks he can do it on his own authority. And he's like, what other authority do I need? I'm the chief of police, right? <laughs> and the mayor says that he's overreacting. It's his first year here. He doesn't understand how shit works. And the medical examiner that we saw Brody talking to earlier that said it was a shark bite is now saying, oh, I think it was like a boat propeller hitter. Happens all the time. I'll change my report. So obviously the mayor has gotten into the the coroner or medical examiner and made him change his his opinion on it. And Brody's like, are you going to stand by this to the medical examiner? He's like, 100%. So he doesn't close the beach. They don't let him do it, right? Because it wasn't a shark attack. Well, now in his defense, in the 70s, they did make boat propellers out of shark teeth, right? (laughs) What? (laughs) Maybe in Australia. That place is dangerous. Even the boats are dangerous. Welcome to Australia where everything wants to kill you. (laughs) Exactly. Australians, tough motherfuckers. Resilient. But we then see that the beach is packed and it's not even 4th of July weekend yet. And even Brody's there and he's sitting in a chair as we see a little boy run up to his mom and we find out he has 10 more minutes to go swimming. Right. And Brody is focusing on this woman floating in the water thinking something's going to happen to her. He sees something moving in the water. He starts to stand up. It ends up being a person, right? So he's like realizing he's psyching himself out. And Brody's really trying to keep eye on everyone in the water. And every time he hears a scream, it's always somebody playing. But he like jumps and freaks out. Like if he had his gun, he'd start fucking fanning the hammer back right then at the scream, right? Uh, He's giving himself a fucking panic attack. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the town he's playing and we have all sorts of townies running up to him with random nonsense. Some bad hat, Harry. And for anybody that recognizes that that quote, it's because they're a movie company that did like the X-Men movies and Trick or Treat, Superman Returns, Valkyrie, shit like that. I think even Usual Suspects. And at the end of the credits, you go here, that's some bad hat, Harry, because that's the name <laughs> of the movie company. And it came from this, if you didn't know that. Nice. But we get our POV shark stalk. With that rock and score again as the shark takes the little boy from earlier out in a fountain of blood. And we get the famous parallax camera shot of Brody on the beach. And there's a few technical things going on here um, in this scene. One, there's a lot of blood when this little boy dies. Like, it's comparable to Johnny Depp dying in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. It's way too much. In the waterbed. (laughs) And they basically built like a floating cannon thing full of blood and had the boy play on it and then just fucking burst it with air to shoot the blood up. And the geyser (laughs) is the kid got yanked under by 
scuba divers. We didn't initially get yanked over by the scuba divers. They had scuba divers there for safety, but they, they had to keep redoing the shot because the kids sucked at like going underwater. So they eventually had to pull them underwater and put an air mask on them and hold them okay. because he just kept floating back up to the top. And you get this geyser of blood, and it, honestly, it looks really cool. And the other technical thing is this camera shot that I wanted to learn how to do it. So I, I actually could, did it with my camera the other day. And basically, you pull back or push in, like on a dolly, or if you got a gimbal, you can do it manually while you're zooming the opposite direction. Yep. And that's how you get that that weird look. But I I don't think I ever saw it in a film before this. Like, even when I go back and watch older movies, it's really cool, and, like, it's almost cheesy and over the top. But the fact that, like, it, I feel like it was invented here, you're like, oh, shit, what's going on? And Brody just looks so, like, entranced by it. I really like how they did that there. Yeah, when it's when it's done right, it's great. Uh, when they do it in the hallway in Poltergeist, it's great. Would you say Spielberg maybe yeah. had something to do with that film? No, no, no. He was he was down the street while while Toby Hooper was doing all the directing, like all of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's become uh, a Wilhelm scream kind of thing where sometimes people put yeah. it in where it doesn't work. This it works. It's that moment. It's that. Because you've watched, you've watched Brody be so scattered. It's like, he's looking here. He's looking there. Da, 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 da. Everybody's asking him shit. It's like, eh, eh. and then this is the moment where everything goes hyper-focused and that technique <laughs> right there just sells it. And it's really fucking good. And it really made me think of how much, uh, us, Jordan Peele, the whole beach scene really played off of Jaws. Cause like I said, I hadn't actually watched yeah. Jaws until recently for the podcast. I was like, oh shit, this really played off of this with how this whole vibe's going. But anyways, the mom from earlier realizes that her son is missing as everyone's running into the beach from the water from the shark attack, right? So she's starting to realize that it was her son. We then cut to like town hall where a meeting's getting ready to start. We find out that the mother has put up a $3,000 bounty, basically, for this shark's corpse. She wants the fucking shark dead. And she's posting it in surrounding towns going out pretty far, not just in Amity. And the town, being a beach town, keeps asking Brody if he's going to close down the beach. And he keeps dodging the question. And he starts talking about things like, we'll put shark watchers in and this and that. And they're like, just tell us you're going to shut down the beach. And he's like, yes. And the town goes into a fucking uproar because that's how they make their money as a beach town. And the mayor starts to argue with Brody and then just looks at the town and says, we're just closing it for 24 hours. Which Brody starts immediately saying, I did not say that. I didn't agree to that. <laughs> but he can see that he's being shut the fuck down right now. Because the mayor of this film is the true villain. <laughs> is there lifeblood, man? His fucking suit's covered in anchors. But uh, the ruckus that breaks out. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? In this town hall meeting is broken up by the sound of nails on a chalkboard as Quint sit there chewing on something and drags his nails on a chalkboard in the back of the room. And he gives a pretty fucking epic speech on how he could hunt the shark for him because they all know who he is and they know he hunts sharks. And he could find the shark for the 3K that was offered. But if they want the fin, the tail or the head and him to kill the shark, it'll be 10K. <laughs> and he says there's too many captains on this island and he wants to go in alone. And he'll prevent the town from going on welfare for a measly $10,000 unless they want to be cheap. And the mayor blows him the fuck off, right? This speech is so good. Yeah. We cut to Brody at home at night, and he's researching sharks and shark bites in books that he's got, I assume, from a library. Because once again, no internet people. And he is startled by his wife as he gets jump scared by her merely walking in the room. And uh, she decides to calm him down. Want to get drunk and fool around? Oh, yeah. 
We find out that one of their kids was given a boat before the incident occurred as like a, a gift or whatever. And it's like tied up to the dock outside their house. And as they're about to go fool around or whatever, he finds out that his kid's playing in the boat. So he's freaking the fuck out. And she's like, look, it's tied up. He's not even, you know, out to sea. He runs out and he starts going off on his kids about, I told you not to play in the fucking boat. So like, once again, we're seeing they don't listen to dad, right? Yep. We cut to a couple of guys and their wife's holiday roast at the docks on the coast trying to catch the shark with their uh, roast bait they made, right? And they throw <laughs> it in the water and they got like a line hooked up to it. And the shark takes their bait and pulls it. And they try to pull the shark back and it knocks them over and yanks the entire dock off of the fucking coast because they had the chain or whatever tied to the dock. Drags the dock to sea and one of the guys out into the water, right? And obviously the shark was way bigger than they thought. And it's a really cool shot of the dude trying to swim to the shore while the other guy's holding his hands out to get him. And the fucking shark is coming in hot to get him. But you can't see the shark. You just see the dock floating really fast. Right. So it's that implication of the shark being there. And you're like, get out of the fucking water. Because you know the guy's (laughs) going to die. Right. And he barely makes it. It's kind of like, you know, rolling under the door as it slams shut. Which he does with Indiana Jones. Yes. Okay, anyways. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spielberg's definitely uh, got some tropes that he likes to use. But we cut to the beach the next day, and there are people and boats fucking everywhere to hunt this shark bounty, right? Like, this shit went viral for however you go viral in 74, 75. Carrier pigeon. Uh, and possibly smoke signals. <laughs> And uh, we see Hooper arrive, and he wants to meet with the chief. He keeps asking police, Where, where's the chief? Where's the chief? And we find out that he's a shark expert that was sent by, like, the Oceanic Institute, right? And Brody had put a call in to get a shark expert in. And it's funny, since he's supposed to be, like, a shark expert, and he's a famous marine biologist, he was supposed to drive up on the boat. That's how it was written in the script, and park the boat, and then climb up on the dock. And if you watch the movie, you just see, like, one of the cops hold up their hand and help Hooper with his bag get out of the boat. Yeah. And it's because he couldn't drive the boat for shit. And he kept ramming the dock by accident. Like, well, we're just not going to have Hooper driving the boat and this shit because Dreyfus can't figure it out. But we can see all these fucktards are in the water. They're ramming at each other. They're hitting each other. They're throwing chum near each other's boats. One guy's throwing like dynamite in the water next to the boats. And, uh, Brody and Hooper head out to go look at the woman's body from before at the medical examiner's office. Hooper wants to do his own autopsy, basically, right? And it's crazy when he gets there. He's already been kind of funny, like making fun of the townies and like those idiots in the boat are going to kill themselves. He's trying to help the cops, right? So we've seen him be goofy, but then he gets here all serious and he's got the lab coat on and the gloves and he puts on, you know, the headset with like the dictation machine to record the audio of his autopsy. Yeah. But as soon as he sees the body, he's like, (laughs) and he's like, you know what I mean? Like dry heaving everywhere. Like he can't do it. And he's having to chug water. It's, It's really well acted, but he does an examination of the body. And like I said, he records his audio as he's going and we, gather that as goofy as he's been he knows his shit right and he says that it was for sure a shark and it wasn't just any shark it's a big fucking shark big fucking shark he doesn't say it like that because he's not from there but that's how i hear it in my head and he's, he's going off from like boston the, the bite diameter right yeah 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 meanwhile the asshats catch a little shark right it's a tiger shark and i mean i say little I mean, I guess that's in perspective i mean it's a it'd it fucking eat you right? yeah, I was say, a great white's but, just that fucking big Exactly. They're used like 12 to 16 feet. Jaws is uh, like a 25-foot shark, and I'll get to that in a little bit, too. But Hooper and, and, and Brody show up, and, and the news is there trying to take a picture of the shark hanging with the guys that 
caught the shark and the mayor's excited because the town's so good they already caught the shark and they can open the beaches up. And the, it's funny because, like, the newspaper cameraman, they're yelling at Hooper because he's got, like, tape measure, and he's measuring the shark's mouth from different angles. And they're like, hey, you random guy, get the fuck out of the shot. We're trying to take a picture of the heroes, you know? <laughs> and he says this isn't the shark. He's like, yeah, this is a tiger shark. It's a man-eater, but the bite diameter isn't big enough. There's no way that this is the shark. And he wants to prove it by cutting the shark open because they have a very slow digestive system, and the boy's body should still be in there. The mayor won't let him do it. He says he's not going to let them perform a half-ass autopsy and spill that little boy's body out on the beach, right? <laughs> and if you pay attention to the background, I think they kind of zoom in on him. But we see Quint ride by uh, laughing because he knows it's not the right shark, <laughs> right? This is what happens when they uh, go cheap. Another famous scene of this movie occurs right here as we see the mother of the deceased boy walk up. I think she's in like a black dress with like a veil and stuff. Like she's coming from a funeral. And she slowly walks up to Chief Brody, and he's just looking at her kind of mesmerized, and she slaps the fucking shit out of him. And I believe she slapped him for real to oh, do the scene, and nice. she said it was 17 takes. <laughs> so she slapped Roy 17 times. And uh, it's a very, very strong and powerful scene. And she says that still to this day, well, the most recent interview I could find of her, people ask her at like conventions and when they meet her at, at places, will you slap me, please, ma'am? Uh. Like they wouldn't be slapped because this is like a, this is a slap heard around the world, right? But she slaps him and she lets him know that she had just found out that a girl had died like two or three days before her son died and Brody didn't close the fucking beach. So it's his fault. Yep. And he knows it's his fault because he tried to close the beach. And uh, she's pretty epic in the scene. Brody and Hooper basically just leave defeated at this point, right? And, yeah. and the mayor even seems to have been moved slightly by that, but he's not closing shit. We go to the Brody family having dinner, and we can see the pops isn't eating, and he's very upset. And the doorbell rings, and surprise, surprise, it's Hooper there in a suit with a couple bottles of wine to mourn over their defeated day, right? And he introduces himself to Ellen, and he's like, you know, I know Brody. And and I think he, like, sits down and he stares at him in the eye, and he's like, honey, how's your day? Like, it's pretty funny. And, then, and, <laughs> yes. and Brody starts laughing. And then, you know, they break up these little tiny wine glasses that are basically shot glasses. And Brody gives, like, Hooper and well, first he takes his pint glass and just starts pouring the wine. And he's like, you got to let it breathe. And, and Brody's like, fuck you. And he, like, pulls up a pint glass of wine, and then he gives them their shot, right? Uh, they get their communion wine while he's chugging a pint. <laughs> you know, he's had a bad day. But you, you get a lot of um, Hooper being a comedian and trying to cheer everybody up. Like, like. Drive is playing what he was hired to do in the scene. And it is nice to break up horror with uh, with comedy. Like, we've said that many times before, and this is a good way they do it, like the up and down uh, with the flow of this film. And it really, you know, I'm a sucker for character-driven movies. And Brody, Hooper, and Quint are definitely, like, big characters that, like, just get unwrapped this entire film, right? And yeah. it's just done so well. But I guess that's a Spielberg thing right like he's always good <laughs> with character development anyways stop gushing um they get drunk as shit and brody starts asking different shark facts to hooper and then they decide to sneak out drunk to the tiger shark corpse and cut it open to see if the boy's inside right <laughs> he's like i'm the fucking chief we can do what we want <laughs> and they get there and it's definitely not their shark like they cut it open he starts pulling like uh license plates from like up north or something he's like just like i thought it came down the south stream of blah 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 you know and he's like they're they're they'll eat any garbage they find, right? But there's no boy in there. 
since this is definitely not their shark, Brody says he has to call the mayor and close the beach down. And Hooper's like, no, we got to catch this fucking shark. And they're night feeders. So we're going to go out to the ocean right now and try to catch the shark. And the movie has shown throughout the entire time that Brody hates the water and he's scared of boats in the ocean. And I think Hooper even made a joke earlier. He's like almost like a a man that moves to an island that's afraid of water. Yeah. He's like, it's only an island if you look at it from the water, right? <laughs> and um, they start to track the boat down because I don't, I don't remember if they say that like Hooper uses his own money, like he came into money or something. I feel like that's sad, but he has like a lot of sophisticated equipment on the Orca for tracking sharks and stuff. Because Quint's even like you are, you're some kind of rich boy, like later in the movie. Yeah. But they start tracking the shark at night, and uh, Brody's like hanging on to the center of the boat for dear life with this giant life preserver vest on because he don't want to die. And um, they find a boat uh, just sitting in the middle of the ocean with like a hunk taken out of the side of it, right? And Hooper just starts putting on a dive suit and Brody wants to know what the fuck's going on. He's like, I gotta go down there and see what, what we have going on here. And Brody's freaking the fuck out because he's got the bad idea sign up and he doesn't want to be on this boat by himself <laughs> while the only guy that knows how to drive the boat's underwater where the shark is. And Hooper's like, yeah, I'll be fine. And he goes down and he examines the wreckage and he finds this giant ass shark tooth that he later says is the size of a shot glass and pulls it out of the wood on the boat right as a corpse pops out of the hole in the wreckage, scaring the shit out of him. And he swims back up to the top of the boat. And a fascinating thing about the scene. Do you know anything about it? Uh, uh-uh. they went to, I can't think of her name. There's a, there's an older lady. She is supposed to be one of the most prolific film editors of all time. Like Steven used her for everything until she retired. George Lucas used her for everything other than when his wife edited the original star Wars, you went to this lady's house and she edited film in her pool house in her backyard. Okay. Right. And Spielberg said that this lady can find any piece of cut trimmed footage off the floor and pick it up and make an epic scene out of it in your movie. Something right. that was just a B-roll or you forgot to turn the camera off, right? Oh, yeah. So they're editing the movie there after this long 157-day shoot. And they decided they needed another scare there. And Spielberg had the idea for the body coming out of the hole because they never shot that. It wasn't in the script. So he calls the special effects guys and he has them build like a replica of the side of the boat and like a dummy head. And they bring it to the editor's house and they fill her swimming pool with milk to make the water look murky and shot it in her swimming pool with the camera and the box they made and then took it out of the pool and edited it up in the pool house. Nice. This is a, uh, like an added scene after the fact, but they literally did it in her swimming pool while she was editing the movie. That's dope. We cut to the next day and we can see Brody and Hooper are trying to convince the mayor to close the beach, right? Because it's a great white shark. Like he knows it's a great white shark now because of the tooth. And they basically say that opening the beach on the 4th of July is like ringing a dinner bell for this guy. <laughs> but Hooper lost the tooth. That's why I got scared. I, I, I'm assuming that's why I wanted to add the scene. It's like, oh shit, why didn't we have the tooth? Maybe I don't know. I never heard anything uh-huh. say that, but he lost the tooth when he got scared and swam up. So the mayor's calling bullshit because he conveniently doesn't have the proof, right? And the mayor doesn't give a shit about bite diameters, great whites. And he wants Brody to deal with the real problems, like the vandalism of the town sign, right? And the mayor's not going to close the beach, and he thinks it's going to be their busiest and greatest 4th of July yet on the beach. That's all he cares about. But we cut to the 4th of July festivities, and we can see the whole fucking town and beach is going crazy. And Hooper and Brody are trying to call and get all the help they can to either 
have like the National Guard or somebody close down the beach or get everybody all hands on deck to be shark watchers, right? Like whatever they can accomplish to try to save people's lives from this great white shark. Yeah. And we can see that the beaches are packed to the gills and the mayor could not be happier. And Brody makes his kids go and get in the little offshoot pond. And they're like, oh, that's for the old ladies to splash around. And he's like, you're not getting the fucking water. So (laughs) they go over there. I think he listens this time. We see people playing in the water and we see the mayor give a live interview on the news at the beach. And we start to get some underwater POV shots to let us know the shark's probably present, right? And I guess the boats there are the Coast Guard. They must have got the Coast Guard out because there are like uniformed people in boats, right? And um, they think they spot a shark in the water and they yell for everyone to get out of the water. And people are actually trampling each other to get out of the water onto the beach. And we find out that it was some kids in diving suits with a cardboard shark fin on their back, right? And they're in some deep shit. Like they come out of the water and the Coast Guard's got rifles drawn on them, right? Because they think it's a shark. They need to be like drawn and quartered. But right after this happens, a woman spots an actual shark in the water charging full on to the pond. So apparently the pond still connects to the ocean. So I don't know why Brody thought it was safe. But then again, he's supposed to be the audience and completely ignorant of the beach and the ocean. So maybe he doesn't even fucking know. (laughs) But when the woman yells, the sharks go into the pond. Ellen tells Brody, oh, my God, Michael's in the pond, their son, right? Michael, Michael. (laughs) <laughs> and we see there's this weird guy i don't know if he's supposed to be high on like peyote or shrooms but there's this weird guy in a rowboat and he's talking to the kids right yes <laughs> that is so fucking it's really creepy. confusing yeah and uh he's definitely like the white van free ice cream kind of guy <laughs> but his little rowboat gets knocked by something on the bottom and flips him under the water and the shark goes to town on him right so this guy was a red shirt thrown in merely to die and the like shockwave in the water of of Jaws hitting of Bruce, I'm sorry, of Bruce hitting <laughs> this rowboat knocked Michael out of his boat. Or was he in a boat or is he just sitting? I don't remember, but he falls in the water. People start to hear screaming and shark and yada yada yada, but the boy who cried wolf syndrome has already kicked in. Yep. And nobody's really paying it any attention. And some boys, I think it was like the swimming team or whatever that they were talking about, managed to get Michael and drag him to shore, and he's unconscious. He's gone into shark. (laughs) He's gone into shock. His mother thinks he's dead, and uh, Brody confirms that he's not, but this just got personal for Brody, and he's going to have to kill this fucking shock, right? (laughs) And And we see Brody approach... Yeah, and we see Brody approach the mayor, who is in shock as well, and just because of his revenue, I'm assuming, not because he almost died of a shark. And he's like talking to himself and mumbling, and he's already trying to figure out, you know, how he's going to get out of this. And I think this is at the hospital, actually, this scene, right? Like, because you see that that Michael's going to be okay, but he needs to stay in the hospital. And the mayor's there, and he's like, I'm so sorry about your boy. I should have listened to you. And he's like, my kids were there too, Brody. My kids were there too. And he's like, I couldn't have known. I couldn't have known. You know, and he starts coming, like, what is he going to say to the news, right? Exactly. And Brody's just basically like, shut the fuck up. You're the mayor. I need your signature right here so that I can hire a private contractor to hunt the shark so I can bring Quinn in. And I, you, I guess he talks him into signing it because we cut to Quint's boat. And we see him agreeing to do the job for his asking price of 10K as long as Brody gets the fucking man off his back so that he can do what needs to be done. And he gives his demands, which consist of a lot of booze and a color TV, <laughs> right, for the boat. I don't fucking know why. Um, 75. Cooper wants to help. 
I know. know. Hooper wants to help out, and Quint gives him shit and thinks that he's just not a real sailor, right? He's just like a little rich city boy. And they bicker a bit, and Hooper shows that he knows what's up, and, you know, he starts saying things. And I think this is where Quint throws a fucking rope at him and tells him to tie a knot. And he's like, which version of the knot would you like? And he starts tying the knots really quick and throwing them to show that he knows his stuff. And this is where we set up the really good dynamic between Quint and Hooper, where they kind of like hate each other and give each other shit constantly. And Brody says that I'm in charge, Quint, and Hooper goes. Hey, I don't need this. I don't need this working class hero crap. <laughs> Apparently, Robert Shaw and Dreyfus were like this offset also, because Robert Shaw was bigger than life and was playing the big tough guy and picked on Dreyfus the whole time and would say weird shit to him right before they said action so he would be like fucked up starting and he would pick on them and that made their characters work that way but it was like all in fun like when they were hanging out outside of the set they were joking and buddy buddy but like he I mean I guess it's kind of like method acting right it just wasn't full on yeah and uh he's a tough guy I said I really like that part but Ellen worldly drops her husband off with a shit ton of Dramamine and life preservers as Quint's gleefully singing sea shanties to basically make me assume that he's already drunk on rum. (laughs) (laughs) But Ellen is so afraid for Chief Brody to go because she knows like he's going to fucking die. He can't do this, this water shit. (laughs) But Quint's talking shit from his throne on the boat where he's got this like chair bolted down with the biggest fucking fishing rod I've ever seen in my life barking orders at Hooper and Brody and Brody's having to chum the water. And there's this great scene where Quint chugs a beer and crushes the can that wasn't in the screenplay. Spielberg like had him do it like right then in the moment he had the idea for him to do it. And then Hooper chugs water from a paper cup and crushes it and throws it on the ground. But it was just all made up on the fly and it's great. (laughs) Okay. But Brody's getting pissy and he's getting sick of chumming and he has an accident where he knocks over a bunch of oxygen tanks, which really, really pisses off Hooper as he explains how they could explode. BS foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) It's straight up foreshadowing. Uh, It comes into play in a little bit. It does. But they pass the time with some more shit talking until Quint's giant fishing rod gets a bite, and he tries to reel in the shark with Hooper assisting by driving the boat the opposite direction to help him tow the shark in to the shallows, I guess. And uh, Quint says that this shark is either very smart or very dumb. And then he concludes that it's very smart because it goes under the boat to fuck with him pulling on it with the rod. <laughs> Brody and Hooper take the lead on the pole while Quint tries to prep a bigger hook on like a chain or something, and they manage to break the line. Quint basically tells them how it's going to go, and he's barking orders constantly at Hooper and just giving him shit and mocking him. Aye, aye, sir. Aye, Jimby. Aye. We'll have to take this abuse much longer. We can tell that a bit of time passes and that Brody's gotten really sick of Quint at this point. Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. But while chum in the water, Brody and the audience get the full view of the shark and its full size for the first time as it jumps out of the water and Brody delivers the famous line. You're going to need a bigger boat. They shut off the engine of the boat to take a look at the shark and they realize that it's 25 feet long and either Quint or Hooper, one of them says it's a three-ton shark, right? It's a big fish. And Quint starts to prep his like harpoon gun rifle thing and these barrels to catch the shark as Hooper's trying to get Brody to go to the other end of the boat to be in the picture with the shark in the background 
to basically be the banana for scale, right? <laughs> and because uh, he wants to show how big the shark is, and he's like, go stand at the front of the boat. And, you know, Brody's like still holding on to the center of the boat with his life jacket. I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> and Brody basically tells him to go fuck himself. Quint gets a hit on the shark with the harpoon or whatever, and basically he's attaching barrels full of air, I guess, to the shark so that it can't go underwater, yep. right? Or I'm assuming they're full of air. What, what else would they be in there yes, to make yes. them float? I no, guess they can exact- have water in them, right? No, no, you're exactly right. The, uh, my theory, at least in watching it, you're exactly right. <laughs> the, they're gigantic fucking barrels, like 55-gallon at least. Actually, they're bigger than 55-gallon barrels, and, and they're basically made to float so the shark can't dive, right, is the plan. Yes. And they're going to need some more or bigger barrels, apparently, on top of this bigger boat. And Quentin Hooper seem to share a moment of amusement with each other as I start to think that they're getting partial like respect for each other on teamwork. And they're both in awe of this giant shark because like Brody doesn't get it. And Brody is consistently just wanting a bigger boat right now. <laughs> the amount of times he says they need a bigger boat is great. I need a bigger boat. And... Here goes just like one of the best scenes, man. It, it's nighttime and the boys are drinking and they're getting hammered and Quentin Hooper start to show off their shark bite scars and they're starting to get along really well and they're even toasting each other's leg and stuff. It's pretty funny. And we see Brody look at the scar that I was talking about earlier that looks like gunshot wounds, but he doesn't want to talk about his scars, right? Yeah. And at this moment, Robert Shaw delivers one of the most awesome speeches in film history, and he's telling the story about the USS Indianapolis from World War II. It's the boat that delivered the bomb to Hiroshima, and on the way back, it got torpedoed by the Japanese, and their mission was so top secret, nobody knew where they were at, and a distress call couldn't be sent. And nope. I think 1,200 sailors went into the ocean, and only a couple hundred made it back. It might have only been 100 and something made it back, but most of them were picked off and eaten by great white sharks. And this is a true story. It really happened, and it was classified until very recently before this movie was made. And they realized they needed to have a reason for why Quint hated sharks so much and had spent like his life learning how to hunt and kill them. And they're like, let's take this true story about you know the survivors of the USS Indianapolis and just make Quint be one of them, right? And I watched a documentary, and they actually had a couple World War II vets that were on this boat and watched their buddies get eaten by sharks. I was wondering if they were going to be offended by it being in a movie, but like one of them, they, they didn't want to see the movie. It was a shark movie. They don't watch shit with sharks after what they've seen in real life. And like oh, kids and grandkids, like you got to go see this movie, your story's in it. And then they're like, Robert Shaw's one of the greatest actors of all time. And we owe him for this, for getting our story out there and telling it in such a prolific way, because it's, it is deep. It is, I, you know how, like I like to put clips in, in shows and sometimes there's a speech where I refuse to put a clip from it. And I say, you just need to go look it up on YouTube. This is one of them. I'm not putting a clip in. You need to go Google Robert Shaw's speech from Jaws. Um, it, it, yeah. It's a great scene and he's drunk when he does it. And there's a little bit of a, a backstory to that. When they're about to shoot that scene, Robert Shaw asked Steven Spielberg if he mind if he went to his trailer and got a couple of drinks in him to get ready for the shot. And Steven's like, yeah, if that's what you need to do, go fucking do it. Hour and a half later, Robert Shaw gets dragged on set because he's done drink all the booze. The rum's all gone, right? He's fucking smashed, hammered. And I, if I remember correctly, I think Dreyfus said they filmed the scene for 13 hours. Jesus. Or some shit like that. It was insane because he was so drunk. And <laughs> and maybe maybe I'm thinking of another scene being 13 hours, but it was it was an absurd amount of time. And Dreyfus said that somewhere in a parallel dimension, this speech is still being given. 
<laughs> it was the most miserable time he ever had. And about three o'clock in the morning, Robert Shaw calls Steven Spielberg in his cabin and wakes him up and basically says, how much of an ass did I make of myself? And Steven responded with something like, I, I think you're still redeemable. <laughs> so he stood up on set the next morning, stone cold sober. And I think he did that in one go like delivered the speech. Oh, damn. And the editor says, you can take shots from the drunk day and from the stone cold sober day and play them side by side. And you can't tell which one. <laughs> like he was that good at like, like a lot, like he couldn't do the whole speech hammered, right? Like it was unusable, but like the usable parts, he could play himself drunk so well, stone cold sober. Okay. That like, it lets you know that it was legit and everybody was okay with it. Cause this, this was one of the best scenes in the movie. And Spielberg says, this is the scene where he realized his movie wasn't going to fail. Like he's yeah. like, this scene just made my movie. And like I said, YouTube it if you haven't seen it, or if you hadn't seen this movie in a decade, but they break this dark foreboding mood with a bit of drunken singing as I'm not really sure what happens here. Either the shark starts to ram their boat or their engine starts to blow. It's really confusing. Yeah. I just know the boat starts moving. The boats rock in, there's holes popping in the side, water starts spraying in, the engine's smoking. So it could be the engine going out, but the way it starts banging and rocking initially makes me think it's the shark ramming the boat and it fucks the motor up. I watch this movie more than any movie I've ever watched for the podcast because we've been making this episode for four months. <laughs> and every time I watch the scene, I'm not sure. Point of the matter is the shark is in the area and the boat is fucked. And... The boat starts to take on water, and Hooper's freaking out a good bit. Brody's, like, fucking catatonic, and Quint is calm the entire time. He's like, Brody, I need you to do this. Hooper, I need you to do this. And he starts fixing things. Like, Quint isn't even faced by it. And he gets his rifle, and he goes on deck, and he starts taking shots at the shark as he's tracking the barrel, right? Because all he can see is the barrel going, he's shooting, like, trying to hit this 25-foot shark. And Brody gets his fucking revolver out of his bag. Like, he's ready to rock and shoot. <laughs> and we cut to the next morning, and we see Hooper and Quint are working on the repairs for the boat as Brody spots the barrel pop back up and it's broken loose and they're going to have to get a barrel on him again because he finally broke the line. The shark comes in hard for the boat and Quint harpoons it and gets two barrels on him at this point and the shark does not give a fuck. <laughs> the shark's swimming around with the two barrels and, and he has no signs of stopping and they attach the two barrels to like the, I don't know what you call the metal hook things on the boat where you can attach chains and ropes and stuff. They're called cleats. Thank you. They attach the uh, two barrels to the cleats on the boat, and they're trying to use the boat to tow the shark into the shore because the shark is trying to make them chase it deeper into the ocean. Yep. Right? And they get another barrel on the shark, and the shark starts to drag the fucking boat back to sea. So their boat motor can't compete with the shark, and... They have to try to cut the lines on the barrels to save themselves, right, from the cleats on the boat. And I think this might be the part where Hooper almost gets ripped in half because, like, the ropes gets pulled up against the side of the boat and stuff. But yeah. uh, the shark tries to go underwater after they get the, the barrels removed from the cleats, so they're still attached to the shark. And Quint says this isn't possible. It's not possible. He can't go under with three barrels on him. And then the shark goes under with three <laughs> barrels on him, right? And Quint starts to track the shark as they drive back towards the shore as fast as they can. And the shark's just fucking chasing the boat. Quint wants to draw him into the shallows. He says if he can get the shark in the shallows, he can fucking drown it. I don't know how, but I trust this guy. <laughs> <laughs> they finally completely blow the engine out on the boat, and they appear to be dead in the water. And Hooper grabs his harpoon gun which has syringes on it. And he says he can drug the shark 
And then they can kill it. And Quint points out that that shark's skin is too big for those needles to go through. And break out your bad idea sign here because Cooper has a plan. He says, like, let's assemble my shark cage. Put me down in the cage. The shark's going to try to eat me. It's going to open its mouth and I can give it the shot in its gums inside its mouth because it's not as thick as its skin. And we'll knock it out. We can kill the motherfucker, right? He's being pretty brave right here. And they lower him down, and the shark comes, and the shark beats the shit out of the cage and rips all the bars off, and we don't know Hooper's fate at this point, right? And I got a little bit of story to go here. I told you guys, there's lots of stories in this movie. This will be one of my <laughs> longest coverages ever, probably. There was an Australian B team. I think they were a couple. Okay. And they followed and shot great white sharks and 35-millimeter cameras for a living. And Spielberg had them recording shark footage for him for b-roll footage so he could actually put sharks swimming in the water right okay problem was they needed a 25 foot long great white shark and it doesn't exist so one of the producers his direct word says why don't we get a midget spielberg calls him a little guy put the little guy in a smaller cage and then have the shark attack the cage and it'll appear to be 25 feet right so it's like a <laughs> perspective thing so they find a stunt actor that was like four foot something. I don't remember. He's a short guy. And he's going to be Hooper in the cage. And at one point, I think the guy had a heart attack in the cage. Oh, damn. Uh, because the guy that set up his oxygen tanks had to give him smaller oxygen tanks because he was a smaller person. And he didn't know that little people required the same amount of oxygen as full grown people was what he said in the interview. Oh, And he didn't have shit. enough oxygen. And I don't know if they meant he literally had a heart attack, but they said he had a heart attack in the water because he didn't have enough air. So I don't know if they're being figurative or literal, but gotcha. that, that got fucked up. And at one point, the producer, or I'm actually, I'm assuming it was a second unit director that was there with the B team, with the Australian team in Australia, called the producers in Spielberg. He's like, we got this great footage. The shark finally attacked the cage. Woot. And they're like, great, great. Send it to me. And he's like, unfortunately, the little guy wasn't in the cage. <laughs> So all they have is footage of the shark attacking the cage that was empty, which is in the movie. They use it from certain angles so you wouldn't be able to see Hooper. Hooper was supposed to die in this scene. Oh, damn. But they didn't have the footage of him getting attacked, so they couldn't kill him. <laughs> so I'm assuming he died in the book then. I don't know. I've never read the book. But Hooper was supposed to die, and because they couldn't get the shot, he lives. No, History. It. <laughs> History. Um. Anyways, that's just a crazy fucking story to me. The little guy and then not enough air for him and trying to get the real shark. Oh, that's nuts. And I don't know. But uh, they reel what's left of his cage up and the boat starts to go under. It's taken on too much water at this point and the shark goes to the front of the boat and opens its mouth wide open as the boat tilts like a slide and unfortunately Quint slides down into its mouth and is brutally fucking eaten on camera. Brody says F this and he goes and hides in the cabin of the sinking boat because it's higher up and he finds one of the oxygen tanks from earlier and he tries to beat the fucking shark to death with it as it <laughs> knocks the door open to the cabin and it has zero effects on the shark and he chunks it into the shark's mouth as the shark opens its mouth to, you know, like snarl or snap at him and he gets the tank in there and he comes up with his own plan. And this is the third act right here because our hero is defeated and he's got to figure out to save the day, right? Yeah. You got a guy that's afraid of water on a sinking boat, and he basically has the ship's mast left at this point, <laughs> yes. right? Is all that's sticking out of the water. And Brody, he found Quint's rifle somehow, and he climbs to the very top, and he tries to get himself pumped up as he lines Quint's rifle up with the shark. Show me the tank. Show me the tank. 
He keeps firing, <laughs> popping shots at the shark, and he's hitting him, I think, but he's just waiting for the mouth to open to get the kill shot in. And the shark jumps up at the last second where it's about close enough to get what's left of the boat. And with its mouth agape, Brody gets the shot off. Spider, you son of a... Hits the tank and makes beef stroganoff all over the ocean as the shark explodes. <laughs> it is a giant meat and blood pudding explosion. And he's real proud of himself for taking out that shark. But then he realizes, what in the fuck am I going to do? I have about three feet of this pole left before I'm in the ocean. <laughs> and then Hooper pops up and swims to a surprised Brody. And unlike the couple from the Titanic, they actually share a flotation device as they <laughs> use the shark barrels and rope to swim back. And they say, thank God we're going with the tide. <laughs> the end. It is definitely a bow wrapped on happy ending, but Spielberg is a director that usually pulls those off without me bitching about it. <laughs> and it's really funny. Like it never bothered me that Hooper survived because you, you never saw him die. Right. And I know the rule. If you don't see him down on camera, they're not dead. Right. Yeah. But when you hear the story that he was supposed to die and they couldn't get the fucking footage to work. So they surprise he lives. I'm, I'm assuming it's supposed to be Brody swimming off by himself. Right. Probably. But yeah, I mean, it, this movie shouldn't have been made. <laughs> it should have gotten canceled at some point. There was a point where Spielberg wanted to quit and he called the producers yelling at him because they all had like cabins at Martha's Vineyard and they knew he's like, I'm coming over and they knew he was wanting to quit, but they'd already gotten the shirts and the posters and shit made. So they hung a couple <laughs> posters on the wall and they had the shirts laying on and he came, Spielberg came in yelling and he saw the merchandise and he's like, I'll get back to work. Uh, like when he saw the shark on everything, he's like, this movie's going to be big. And it was, it was a fucking phenomenon. Like I said, it was the highest selling movie of all time when it came out. And for some reason, box office records aren't adjusted for inflation, but it was over two and a half billion dollars. If you adjusted it to today's dollars. So I don't know whether it'll go off of fucking ticket numbers, but I would like to sit there and go through the top grossing movies like Star Wars and stuff and really see how this compared. But it made half a billion dollars in 1975. The world went shark crazy. The merchandise was everywhere. I always thought Star Wars invented like the merchandising for film. It was actually Jaws did it first. And then his buddy George did it for Star Wars. <laughs> did it a little bigger. Everybody saw this movie. We wouldn't have Shark Week right now if it wasn't for this movie i guarantee fucking oh, no. you I, I think the world is short crazy because of this movie absolutely I, I think human nature makes us want to be interested in it but this like put it out there everybody knows what jaws is my eight-year-old son has a jaws picture framed hanging in his room and he's never seen the movie he knows what jaws is i was actually gonna let him watch it with me a couple weeks ago but he's currently in florida right now at the beach and i didn't want to fucking traumatize him because <laughs> i don't like going into very deep ocean water because i've seen jaws too many times spielberg doesn't go into the water because he says the sharks knew he made this movie and they're gonna get him one day so he doesn't go into deep water dreyfus told a story about how after they wrapped the movie Spielberg and his wife and Dreyfus and his wife went to the beach in Hawaii. And he's like, we're just like old Jews and ankle to knee deep water, splashing ourselves with water because we weren't going in. <laughs> and Spielberg actually started a tradition on this film. I meant to say it earlier on the last day of shooting. He knew they were going to dump water on him and like throw him off the boat in the ocean or whatever. Like he caught wind of it. So I don't know if he shot the movie necessarily in chronological order. I guess he couldn't because they had to do the land shots and the water shots. But I believe Brody killing the shark and them swimming away was the last day of shooting, basically. Okay. Spielberg wasn't there to direct it. He left the sets. So they couldn't get him. You know, kind of like how the coaches get the Gatorade dumped on him. Yeah. And it's a, a tradition. Steven Spielberg doesn't do his last day of filming ever. Huh. Because the cast and crew ain't going to get his ass. <laughs> 
But he's a fucking genius. I'll say it now. I would say he's probably the most accomplished director of all time, without a doubt. I mean, I have yeah. directors that I admire their films more than him, but look at his filmography. Very few duds in there. Oh, yeah. And, and the it, duds, we're, talk, we're talking about things like Ready Player One that still made a shit ton of money, and there are a lot of people that like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he made Schindler's List. He made Saving Private Ryan. Like, I mean, those are big, big, you know, famous movies. I think he made the fucking War Horse movie. And I, I already named all his genre shit. Not all of it, just some of it. And the amount of directors that we've covered on this podcast that are like, I got into filmmaking because of Steven Spielberg. Uh, you know? Like, yeah. it's just insane. Yeah, and his catalog, like you said, it's all over the place. It's not like, yeah, Spielberg's really good at this. It's not like that. Yes and no. Spielberg is very good at being Spielberg, and that's how <laughs> we were able to tell the scenes in Poltergeist, right? Like, remember yeah. we were, when we covered it, we're like, this is a Toby scene. This is a Steven Spielberg scene. Like, it was yeah. apparent to us because, I don't know, nobody does families and character-driven like Spielberg. And he does it in a way without derailing what's going on around you. No. I'd love for him to do another horror movie, though, before he retires. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get that. We may get Even like, a PG-13. <laughs> I mean, like, let's, let's be honest. I don't know if I would want to see a rated R Spielberg movie. Like, I, he does PG-13 well. I mean, Saving Private Ryan is rated R, but I meant like a, a, like a horror-type yeah, yeah, yeah. genre film. But he could do, like, a pretty cool monster movie, I think. Probably, yeah. I was going to say, like, straight-up monster movie probably would be dope. No, it's a really good flick, man. And that's what I was saying, like... Well, like you were saying, like as a kid, I was just like, oh yeah, don't go in the ocean jaws. Like seriously, like I'd never seen the movie, but <laughs> like just from being, Dunna. yeah, you, you know, like you're saying about, about your boy, like, you know, the mythos of this whole thing when you haven't even seen the fucking movie. And, uh, like I said earlier, watching it, like getting 15 minutes into the movie, it's like, holy shit. I didn't know this movie was this intense and it's not over the top except for the end. It really does. That. That's why I said BS with the oxygen tank earlier. You know, we, we've all seen Mythbusters <laughs> at this point where they did the whole thing with the shark and they're like, they don't explode. Like, like we got to call you on that one. Well, uh, an oxygen tank though definitely could explode or definitely does explode when you puncture it. And it would probably break the jaw. It'd probably still kill the shark, pop its head open. You just wouldn't get the giant meat explosion. Like it just ate a bunch of C4, but I mean, come on. It looked pretty fucking cool, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it definitely <laughs> wouldn't go Michael Bay. And as you want to get into the rest of the franchise with the deaths that they come up with there, this is the most grounded one, I guess. Um, <laughs> even with that said, <laughs> the second death is grounded ish. Ish. <laughs> it would work. It's just him coming up with it and yes. pulling it off like he did. Is, is the man? Could you imagine if it was modern day and he accidentally grabbed the fiber line? Oh, it'd be a lot of pissed off people. Like a lot. <laughs> but, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. That that's my fault. Uh, sorry, I was a bit long winded on my film. I'm sure Josh's will probably be a good bit shorter just because it's Josh doing it, not me. <laughs> and. <laughs> He knows how to cut his shit down. Honestly, most of the crazy backstory of this entire four film franchise all existed in the first one. Yes. <laughs> you got a little bit of it for the second one. And I don't even know for three and four yet because we haven't decided where we stand <laughs> on that. But we'll figure it out by the end. But before we get there, let's let Josh tell us about 1978's Jaws 2. Yeah, which I lovingly refer to as the revenge of Scarface the shark because that's what it <laughs> turns into. Shark. It is a different shark, but he's just doing his thing until he gets burnt. And then the rest of the movie is his revenge. Okay. It's a second act twist. Fair. <laughs> 
So this one was directed by Jeannot Schwark. I'm pretty sure that's French. What's up with French directors getting brought in to like do the second part of major franchises? I feel like this has happened know, right? several times on the show. This is this is <laughs> fucking this is what Jaws did, man. It set a lot of precedents. Um, <laughs> but he had done a lot of TV, notably stuff that he's done is Night Gallery, Heroes, Supernatural. So he he went on to do some legit shit. Okay. To get into these writers, you got. Carl Gottlieb again, of course, but Howard Sackler was the other guy um, who mm, was. Uh, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, because he was like a, a not even a, a writer, writer on the first one, like a, a script supervisor, something. Doctor he was in, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. He was like involved, but not 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 creditable. The author of the book had like five or six working scripts, and I think he <laughs> took the scripts. No, I'm dead serious. He did, and I think they got him. Because he was such an accomplished like uh, theater screenplay writer, they got him to take this fucking jumbled mess and put together a movie. Yeah. And then Spielberg got Carl to come in and like add the comedy and the finesse, and Spielberg the shit out of it with him. You know? <laughs> so I don't I don't understand how Spielberg didn't get a writing credit on the original one when you know, hear right? that they wrote in the cabin every night. But but anyways, well, what's weird is it, it went down in a similar way on this one. But we'll get to that. So in our returning cast, we of course have Roy Scheider, fucking. Lorraine Gary, that's that's the wife mm -hmm. you were talking about that I didn't know the whole fucking studio wife thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? It's Sid something. He was the president of MCA into the becoming Universal and through the 80s heyday of Universal. Okay. He, uh, he could still be fucking on the board for all I know. But yeah, it was his wife. Murray Hamilton comes back as the mayor. Jeffrey Kramer, <laughs> that's a... Uh, Deputy, Do uh, Deputy Dewey or Doofy, whichever one you first. Um, I've got it. I've got his character's name in here somewhere. We'll get to it. But they came back. The new people. We got a lot of people. Like a lot of people. There's like 78 kids in this movie. The mm -hmm. only notable ones are uh, <laughs> Gary Dubin, who played Ed, who uh, had bit parts in Pump Up the Volume and Cursed of all things. Um, he's like one of the cops in Curse. Like he's in the movie okay, for nine okay. seconds. And he's just a voice in Pump of the Volume. Uh, more recently in uh, The Jizz Master, parts one and two. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 on IMDb. They're short films, so I don't know if that confirms that it's porn or confirms that it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm more surprised that there's a movie called The Jizz Master or that there was a sequel. <laughs> Um, real noticeable person in this fucking movie for us is Keith Gordon as Doug. Of course, you know, fucking Christine, the legend of Billie Jean, gone on to be a fucking full-blown filmmaker in his own right. Yeah, he's such a baby in this movie. He looks so fucking young. It's insane. Like, I always hear my mom say that about, like, older movies. Like, oh, they're a baby in this. Talk about famous people. And this is the first time I <laughs> saw it. Because he looks the same, but smaller. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I think he's a pretty accomplished film and TV director now, right? Instead of yes. Acting. And his character was fun. By the time you get a little later in the movie, you got a bunch of kind of like BS filler dialogue between people. But yeah. he's the memorable one. And again, we got special mechanical effects by Robert Maddy and Roy Arbogast. And we'll get into how how they worked on this and what decisions were made to uh, keep the shark going. Like you said, not as much behind the scenes on this uh, other than it being just a fucking production hell yet again, but not as bad as the first one. So they got everything set up with uh, John Hancock as the original director, who I meant to look up to see what he did and totally forgot. I think he invented the signature, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole project basically stalled about three weeks in when he realized that this isn't going to be eight to 10 weeks of shooting. This is going to be eight to 10 months of shooting. And the motherfucker mm -hmm. walked. 
So they almost shelved the whole thing until they got into talks with Spielberg. I'm like, okay. And Spielberg agreed to come back as long as they brought Richard Dreyfuss back. And that obviously didn't happen. So with Spielberg out with no Dreyfus, um, that is how we ended up with the Frenchman at the helm. And he did it. He, he did a good job. It feels like the original movie. So he did a good job of that, but it's missing like the Spielberg touches. Yes. With the family members and the side cast. And that's what's obvious to me in it, especially since you have the same main character and wife and like yep. even them, the dynamics, not even the same because you didn't have Spielberg doing the, the parents, you know, like it, like he did a good job of making a sequel to a movie in continuity. He just couldn't be Spielberg. No, it's like, you know how Jackass does all the like Jackass 1.5, 2.5, 3.5, yeah. their little filler ones, all the shit that didn't make in the movie. It really feels like that. It's just 1.5. It's definitely in the same universe. It feel it stays in its lane, but there's something missing. <laughs> but we did get Roy back. Um, he, he originally wasn't down, but he was convinced to do it. Now, uh, <laughs> when Janot was brought in um, to direct, he looked through everything. And he's like, all these, he's looking at the script and he's like, all the action scenes are good. Everything else in between is terrible. And that's what we need. We, we have no story. We just have some, some action beats and that's it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is how uh, Howard Sackler actually came, came into his own to actually rework the script and, and turn it into a bit more of a cohesive movie. Kids sale and shark attacks. I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, as far as the rebuilding Bruce, um, they use the same molds. But okay. as, as far as the actual mechanical rigs, they rebuilt everything because the original equipment was just left sitting out in a lot. So mm-hmm. completely destroyed by weather, even though it had only been a few years, all the shit was used in the damn ocean at times. Most of it was mm-hmm. used in the ocean. <laughs> That's why they had to swap to pneumatic pumps for a lot of it, right? Exactly. So this shit was all totally rusted out and fucked by the, the first year of it sitting there. <laughs> Once again, did a lot of shooting in Martha's Vineyard. Um, they also shot in the Gulf of Mexico, surrounded by real sharks, which was mm-hmm. tedious, and uh, a little bit of pickup in Southern California. And that's it. I got some more sprinklings in here, and uh, we'll get to them as we go, but let's get into the movie. So we open with this small group of divers, checking out the sunken wreckage that is the Orca. Oh! I didn't catch it was the orca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the theme kicks in, and they're just quickly picked off one by one. <laughs> like it's a, it's an opening credits setup. Like, like this is where we are. This is what's happening. And that's it. They're gonna be they're gonna be dead. No one's ever gonna know. Oh wait, wait. One of them had a camera, and as they dropped it, it snapped a few pictures. <laughs> right. And I just got to point out that the diver's camera in this scene and the diver's camera that they recover later in the movie are not the same fucking rig. And it's very obvious. <laughs> it's, it's not a good start. But uh, we do know there were sharks. You know, <laughs> in a Jaws film? Duh, in a Jaws film. <laughs> I thought it was about dental work. <laughs> so uh, we go topside and we see Brody hauling balls to this big event. And it's the grand opening of a Holiday Inn. They're getting a fucking Holiday Inn, man. They're they're legit. They're on the map. And Ellen's like on the town council or something yeah. at this point, right? Because yeah. it's like her event, right? Exactly. We get to see Miss Amity cut the ribbon and everyone cheers. And we're kind of half-ass introduced to a few of the kids. And there's really, I mean, there's not much. There's no real story here. It's just there's this. The, some of the kids are getting some screen time because there's like seventy-two of them to introduce. <laughs> and uh, we cut away to a shark just chilling offshore, <laughs> like literally, like 
there's a shark. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give this movie shit, but there is some stuff in it. It does really well. So the next day we see the kids getting ready to head off for some sailing. What the fuck else is there to do on this Island other than sail and bone, right? <laughs> so we run through some of the kids. We get Mike, his little brother, Sean, Miss Amity herself, Tina, Andy, Doug, Timmy, Larry, Bob, Brooke, and her cousin, Jackie. She got tits like a sparrow. Do you have to talk like that? It sounded like you were going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I know, right? And I'm leaving out half the kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, a quick little thing about how the kids did with this. They actually made them go through four weeks of sailing training. So mm-hmm. when, when we get later on in the movie, like that's legitimately them. Because back then you didn't have CGI or the money or... Well, you had the lack of insurance, so you could get away with this kind of shit. <laughs> I do want to point out uh, Michael and his little brother, Sean. That's Michael and Sean Brody, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's the same children. My bad. <laughs> I feel like Michael's actually older than he should be, but. Yes. If we're going with the, the release, the years in between the releases of the films, it's a little weird. So me, there he is, Hendrix. So uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Doofy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brody sends Hendrix off to investigate an abandoned boat that's been spotted out in the fucking bay. And uh, he comes back with this diving camera that he found. Also, meanwhile, the kids play and water ski. And we we get the like the the fake out a couple of close calls with the shark POV until little Miss Skier, who we're going to find out is Terry later, goes down right down the shark's throat. I mean, it's just (laughs) I mean, he just comes up and just gets her. And uh, that was one of the new rigs they built where it was it was basically like a torpedo cam thing that they had set up that they could run under the water for the high speed POV shots. Okay, which was really cool. Um, That rig. And then they've got the the Ramo shark rig that they built that we'll get to later. (laughs) Did Sam Raimi name that one? (laughs) Yeah, uncredited. (laughs) So anyways, with the skier down, lady driving the boat, she turns back to investigate. And she's like looking in the water and shit. And the fucking shark rams the shit out of the boat. Now, Jesse, if you're on a small boat that's being eaten by a shark, is the most logical thing to do is douse yourself in gasoline and uh, light a flare? <laughs> no. She had a big ass gas can on that boat for such a little boat. And I don't understand how it perfectly got spilled everywhere. What did she do? Did she like pick it up to throw it and say, oh, shit. I don't, I and it's like, know, I don't remember. But because it straight up looks like she's like. I will self-immolate on this boat. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the shark had fucking mind control powers. It must, man, because that's exactly what this lady does. And uh, <laughs> she goes big bada boom on the boat. Yeah. I have to now call the shark fucking Scarface the shark. And the lady will now be known as Crispy. Because <laughs> the burn up shark takes off. And the boat and the lady go full on Michael Bay to the point that this can be seen from the shore. Um, the explosion, not the shark. But it's bad, right. man. It's just a bad scene the way she picks it. I get it. She's like, I have no way to defend myself except for maybe catch the shark on fire, which still doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> it's bad. She should have waited till it opened its mouth, threw the gas can in its mouth, and then shot the flare into the shark's mouth. That would have been would have exploded. The end. <laughs> Short fucking film. <laughs> so we cut over to Hendrix fishing through the wreckage. Brody already has jaws just written all over his face. Like it was a shock. <laughs> and uh, like, seriously, he's, he's one track mine already. We, we see Hendrix uh, <laughs> catching something in the water. 
and they think they've got something because it's like, oh my God, it's heavy. It's like going to pull us back off into the ocean heavy, but it's the power line that feeds the island. Oh, oh, it's my turn. Foreshadowing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we then see the kids heading off to the beach for some grab ass because drinking bone and sailing, that's all they can do. And they stumble upon this dead killer whale. And it's got several large bites taken out of it. Of course, Brody shows up on the scene and he's got a marine biologist there with him. And uh, <laughs> once again, Brody has a one track mind. Well, it's obvious that a big fish took a bite out of this big fish. This is a mammal, not a fish. Well, don't quibble with me. Is it a shark bite or isn't it? I know that dolphins communicate. I mean, they send signals. You don't think that if a shark was destroyed, that another shark could, could come in? Sharks don't take things personally, Mr. Brody. I think somewhere in there, he like he did try to call and get Hooper back, but Hooper was like on an undersea adventure, right? So he got this lady. They sent him. They sent him this lady instead. Exactly. The, She's not down with his like telepathic short communication. She is not. <laughs> she is by the book. So uh, again, one track mind, Brody. It's the mayor. And he's trying to warn him. He's like, uh, we got we got to warn the whole town. We got to we got to close the beaches. Like fucking sharks back. Like the shark you blew up, I'm like no, the psychically linked shark, <laughs> <laughs> and he, his warning, of course, falls on deaf ears, and he heads off. He's driving along the beach and shit, and he sees part of the ski boat debris drifting towards shore, and he wades out into the water. And this is actually a really good scene because he's like slowly just kind of looking at everything, and the way Jason pops out of the water, I'm sorry, the way Crispy pops <laughs> out of the water, it's really good, and and, and actually it, it really is good. It's, it's it's a good scene. The way it shots, real good. Crispy, the the work on her is is fucking good. It's 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 revolting looking, and this is enough to like really really scare the shit out of Brody, who's already shitting himself thinking that they got sharks. Speaking of sharks, let's jump one. So we cut to Brody, <laughs> and he's filling his hollow point bullets with cyanide, and he's sealing them with <laughs> wax. And real quick, Talflater Mouse on YouTube, if you ever want to check him out, it's a really cool channel, did something very similar, filling hollow points with red dye and epoxy um, just to see would this work. And uh, while not practical, it did show that the transfer of the liquid into the target is possible. Okay. I'm not going to put cyanide in a fucking gun that I'm going to be shooting outdoors, possibly into the wind (laughs) for fear that the wax may rupture. Just saying. But uh, by the time we get to Brody shooting, he's going to have bigger problems than what's in his bullets. Anyways, um, <laughs> Hendrix comes in and sees him and, and he's like, he's like pulls a towel over what he's doing. Like he's hiding drugs or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he already knows everybody thinks he's fucking crazy. Yes. He tells Hendrix to go ahead and take the diver camera to the photo lab to see if there's anything useful on it from the, the camera that they got from the wreckage. Think they went to like a wolf camera or yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Photo Fox. <laughs> what, what was the other one we had back in the day? <laughs> Those are the two I remember. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but once Brody goes back home, he uh, he tells Mike, he's like, You're not going sailing tomorrow. And this is back to like what you were saying in the first film like, I give orders, you don't listen. And um, that kid is back on the fucking escalator, yes. And not only can he just uh, not, you know, disobey him, he's going to go to his fucking job that he just got him because he's set around too much this summer. So we cut to the next day and it's like the pre 4th of July scene in the first film where it's just everybody's having a good time at the beach. And we also see uh, uh, Peterson. He's the Amity development realtor dude that was really happy that they were getting a fucking holiday in in the opening. Oh, yeah. He's given a tour with the mayor and the wife and they're like, you know, oh, this is where we have this. This is where we have that. Like, they're trying to get some new blood in. They're trying to make it, – it's Spaceballs too. It's the search for more money. 
<laughs> the wife spots Brody up on a watchtower, as does the mayor. <laughs> like, somebody get him down. He's going to spook people. We see the kids sailing off and having fun while uh, Mike paints the changing rooms, the red and white tent rooms, whatever the fuck those are on the beach. I don't know. I've never seen them in real life. I assume they're changing rooms. They're too big to be outhouses. I don't know. I've never seen them in Florida on the beach. I don't know. Yeah. I've only seen them in like film and pictures and shit. I dig a little hole and poop when I'm on the beach. I don't need a tent for that. I can just pop and squat. Anyways. Fascinating. (laughs) We all pee on the ocean. We know that's fact. Anytime you see somebody walk in the water, waste half for a minute and come back out, they took a piss. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Every time. The fish do it. Why can't we? That's that's what I've always Even thought. educated bees do it. <laughs> so uh Brody's tower watching antics um are obviously gonna scare the money away that's touring the <laughs> island. Renee wants to know what's that man doing way up there? Man, what man? Yeah. Oh, he's uh watching uh you know, a lookout. For what? It's a shark tower. I saw one in Florida. He's looking for sharks. The mayor's explanation's terrible. He should have just said it's like the town beach bum that likes to huff paint up there. Yep. Quick write-off. Yeah. Or he could have just said uh, a spotter for drowning people for the lifeguard. Yep. You know, it, there's so many ways he could have done it besides what they did, and it, it was not executed well. No. I know it's trying to go like three stooges slapsticky, but it didn't. It didn't work. <laughs> of course, right on cue, Brody sees something in the water. He fucking climbs down the tower and charges across the beach, flailing his revolver all over the place, showing absolutely (laughs) zero muscle discipline. (laughs) But hey, it's a shark, right? (laughs) He makes it to the shore and he fucking just starts shooting the shit out of a school of bluefish. We find out as somebody starts saying it's bluefish, it's bluefish. And uh, he has now officially cried wolf in the worst possible way. It shows him breaking, like literally, he he breaks as a yeah. human in this scene. And I get that. And I get that that's the, the reckless abandon. But it's pretty fucking funny to watch. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's, it's letting us know this is the, the cheese has fully slid off of his cracker. And uh, I don't think he's, he's going to keep a job very long is what I'm getting at. So uh, that night, the photo lab calls Brody over. And uh, he's showing them as he's developing the next couple of pictures because they actually got something. And in one, Brody can just make out the eye of a shark down in the corner. And he takes a picture and he goes racing over to the town hall or whatever it is. And they really don't give a fuck. All they care about is keeping attendance up. And it's, you know, (laughs) nobody, nobody gives a shit. Meanwhile, the kids are making plans to head to the lighthouse tomorrow. And Mike's like, no, no, I got to start paying attention to my dad. I'm out. But Sparrow Tits twists his dick or arm and convinces him to go. That was a uh, weird combination of words you just used there. <laughs> I know sparrow, dick, arm. That's weird. <laughs> For the record, her, her name's Jackie. If I didn't say that earlier, I'm not. Uh, I'm not completely insensitive, but I, I just I've never heard sparrow tits before or after. Nope. In this fucking film, there's and a I, reason. Uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's so bad. I have to remind everybody how bad it is. Let's be as edgy as fucking possible, man. We then see Brody pull up at home looking just a little shit-faced, right? And Mm -hmm, we mm. learn he's just been fired. He's been shit-canned, so he's getting shit-faced. They go hand-in-hand. That's how that works. So uh, the next morning, we see Mike sneaking out. Fucking Sean catches him in the hallway. He's like, are you going sailing? (laughs) He's like, shh, go to your room. 
<laughs> the little brother's like, Michael, <laughs> trying to get mom and dad woke up. Like, what a little shit. And uh, he's like, you're taking me with you. You should have let him know that uh, snitches get stitches. No, no, they didn't know, man. All they know is fucking sailing and boning. They're like, like, like stormtroopers. All they know is killing in white uniforms. <laughs> I will say Brody has a line somewhere in this movie. He's like, I don't understand why everybody's so goddamn boat crazy. <laughs> and his wife's like, we live on a fucking island. <laughs> it's a fucking island, man. So, of course, we jump right to the kids hopping on their sailboats and shit, and they're heading off for their big day. And on their way towards the lighthouse, they pass some guys diving for lobsters. And we hang behind with the lobster divers for a little while, and uh, just long enough to see one of them get nipped by Scarface. And uh, he's still hungry. And then he spots the sailboats. (laughs) Word of warning to everyone before we hit this pre-third act. I'm probably going to fuck up some names in here just because there's so much going on and I was not going to go tediously to try to figure out if I was getting all the kids' names right. So uh, bear with me. They're all red shirts to me. <laughs> I can barely keep track of which ones are Brody's kids. You know? <laughs> know, right? like so uh, Tina and Eddie hang back from the rest of the group in their little boat together for some sexy time. And uh, Tina says her mom has started to notice the bruises on her ass and that Eddie better get out of blanket. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as he's going for the blankets, Scarface rams the boat, knocking Eddie into the water. And uh, he tries to climb back in. <laughs> but the shark fucking grabs him. And just, this is the Ramo shark, just hauling ass across yeah. the water and slams Eddie into the side of the boat. And it's hilarious. No matter how you cut it, it is not, oh my God, it's not terrifying. It is fucking hilarious i think the way we cut it was at his arms right is that the scene <laughs> hands and arms come in there you I go still got puns y'all there still go. got puns so back over in town we see that uh brody is returning the police truck since he's you know fired and shit but he gets distracted by an ambulance I'm like you know oh shit what the fuck's going on and we see that it's picking up the diver dude who has the bins and nobody knows that it was a shark. They just think something spooked him and he came up too fast. What the fuck is the bins? So when you're diving, it doesn't, it only takes it, it just like, I think it's only like 30 feet of water before the pressure is so intense that if you come up too fast, you'll actually have sacks of air in your joints huh. and in your bloodstream okay. that expand too fast from the lack of pressure. And uh, can do all kinds of stuff to you. And that's why you've ever, if you ever see anybody in the, in diving movies and shit where they, they make them get in the little chamber afterwards, it's a decompression yeah. chamber to try to, okay. try to pull all the, the bubbles back into where they belong. That's fascinating. I'm sure there's probably several people listening to this episode that had no fucking clue. So, you know, the more you know. I know, I know a lot about a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So in the in the conversation of finding out what's going on with this diver dude, Hendrix uh, spills the beans and says that the kids are out sailing. Even Mike. <laughs> so uh, Brody, Hendrix, and Ellen hop on the police boat and they head out to the lighthouse. But the kids have now decided to head to a different spot, past the lighthouse. <laughs> they saw these creepy old dudes bitching about like your goddamn thoughts, right? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they didn't want to go up there. So uh, what I'm going to call the police trio finds Tina drifting and hysterical in what's left of the boat. And they're asking her what happened. What was it? Because she keeps rambling about it. What was it? (laughs) Now it's confirmed. It's a shark. And uh, 
<laughs> Brody spots another another boat going, and he he sends him over and is like, "Hey, you know, take them back to shore." Da 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 da. I'm gonna go save the fucking kids. So we've now got dude who was not raised on the water, um, who didn't like the water to begin with, who had a very very traumatic experience the last time he was out on a boat <laughs> with a shark, out in shark infested waters all by himself on a little bitty boat. The guy who wanted the bigger boat is now on a smaller boat. <laughs> So we are now at the third act. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so uh, by now the kids have stopped to watch Doug attempt to save his, his little inflatable from sinking. Um, <laughs> Cause it, it really, he's got the little dinky boat and uh, it's a nice, calm, lighthearted scene. Then Scarface attacks and uh, <laughs> Doug swims to another boat. And uh, that one is quickly flipped over. Then Scarface takes off and flips another. And the boat Sean is on is then accidentally flipped over while another boat rams Timmy and Brooke in all the commotion. And like, seriously, it's this little fleet of boats they got going on. And, and the shark just comes in and just fucking wreaks havoc. I do yeah. think it's funny that the one boat that Sean's on is just like, oh no, we stood on the wrong side of the boat and it capsized. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the kids try to regroup and they notice that Mike is drifting away. He had been smacked in the, in the head and knocked out of a boat in all the commotion. Scarface then charges, but Mike is pulled to safety just in time. Now, this is a really good shot because this is the one where the shark busts out of the water and like goes right along the side of the boat just as they pull him up. So yeah, that, that was the ramming rig. Like that's like half a ton of fucking shit flying at him. And like they really did it. Okay. And that's really him. And he could have been really fucking killed <laughs> if they had mistimed it. And it looks good. It, it, it looks a little cheesy at the tail end of the shot. They could have cut away a little bit earlier, but. When it, when the when the shark first comes up, I buy it. Um, um, the shark looks pretty good in, in the movie, in all seriousness. Yeah. So they got Mike back on the boat, and Timmy and dude sail away with Mike to get him to a doctor. I don't know who the other dude is. I'm sorry. And uh, the rest of the kids start lashing together what's left of of, of all their boats together, kind of like a, it feels like a water world where they got all the boats lashed together <laughs> and shit, like in all seriousness. Yeah. Only this movie's better. That's saying a lot. <laughs> They realize that they're drifting towards Cable Junction, and that's what they're going to put all their money on is that they will they will drift it. Meanwhile, we'll see that Brody is called in air support. Fuck yeah. And uh, <laughs> we see the chopper spotting the kids, and he makes a water landing because this chopper's got pontoons. And uh, the pilot gets out, and uh, he goes to put a tow line onto their little thing, and he's like, I'm going to tow you to Cable Junction. You remember that fake photo of the shark coming up and, and biting the helicopter that quickly became a meme? Yeah. Okay, well, in this movie, the shark attacks the helicopter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it, it's funny, too. The pilot, he comes out like just fucking serious as a heart attack. He's like, hey, kids, do this, do that, tie this here. And they're like, yeah, it's the hero. <laughs> and you just know they're going to get out of there because how the fuck's the shark going to take a helicopter out? Um, with its teeth. Very carefully. <laughs> I mean, this is absurd as when I'm covering Poltergeist 2 or whatever and the sphere <laughs> of light coming in and shit. This is some crazy shit here. So uh, the the chopper flips over while the sharks pull it down, and the rotors fucking fly apart as they're hitting uh, the water, and and they go flying at the kids and tear apart what's left of the sails. They're like fully fucking adrift at this point, and there's actually a deleted scene of the shark then eating the pilot underwater from inside the helicopter, um, mm. but it, it was cut for time and pacing. But they did shoot it. So the shark is now just going to fuck with the kids and that's what it does. It starts ramming. It's like, it's like tremors. He's looking for weaknesses. Um, <laughs> go building the building. He's going boat to boat. And, uh, during all this, he ends up knocking Sean and Marge into the water. So they go swimming back towards their capsized boat. 
And Sean makes it up and he's holding on to the keel, the rudder, whatever it is. I'm not a nautical dude. And uh, <laughs> you had cleats though. You knocked that one out the park. That's that's because I watched fucking below deck with the wife. That's the only reason I know that. Ah. <laughs> and uh, Marge is is little Sean can't pull Marge up. She's older, and there's like <laughs> no way this is going to happen. And it's another great shot because the shark just comes up and just one quick gobble. Yeah, just no, no. I'm going to eat you and just, just swallows her whole. And it's a reverse yeah. shot. And the kid who plays Sean is awesome. Cause I buy everything on his face. I totally believe. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being like, how old is he supposed to be somewhere between seven and 10? I'm guessing. And yeah. And your baby, young. your babysitter or whatever, like four inches in front of your face gets swallowed whole by a fucking shark. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty good scene. It's one of the better scenes. I'm, I'm honestly not a huge fan of this movie, but I liked that scene. <laughs> So uh, he goes into shock, but the kids do manage to fetch him and get him back over to their wreckage, and they keep drifting towards Cable Junction. I'll explain Cable Junction in a minute. So we cut back to Brody, and uh, he meets up with the boat that has Mike on it that just left all the other kids heading for a doctor. And they tell him, you know, oh, they went past the lighthouse. They're over by Cable Junction. And we go back over to them, and the wreckage is drifting closer, and it actually gets hung up on the rocks near the island. Now... The island, which is funny, you're talking about the the barge that they had all the equipment on in the first movie. The garage sale. Yeah, yeah, the garage sale. So in this one, they took a barge and they dressed it to make it look like an island. That entire, every shot of Cable Junction is a fucking boat. Um, okay. And they did a good job. Their rock Makes work sense. on that was nice. The idea that we need a little bitty island as a little power station that's not connected to a goddamn thing other than the cable that runs under the ocean doesn't make any sense. But, you know, whatever. I just assumed it was supposed to be like a utility connection point, and that was like where you could set up tools to work on the cables where they connected. Eh, maybe, but why? If it's that close to the island, why? Why that close? Like, if it was twenty miles mm. off you know, or closer to Ireland, where they made the joke about drifting off to, <laughs> it's like what's past that? Ireland, <laughs> so bad. Anyways, so Brody arrives on scene, and uh, he's like, "Hey, kids, I'm gonna rescue you." And then the shark pops up, and. Uh, <laughs> It seems to be a theme in this franchise. <laughs> it does. It's not. And I'm making fun of this movie because it's, it doesn't have the tension. It doesn't have the setups. Mm -mm. It doesn't, it just doesn't have it like the first one does. It's like, I don't mean this as a movie comparison, but it's as lame as saying uh, man stalks and kills babysitters. Like it's like, that's all <laughs> it's like the shark pops out of the water and people die. Like th that's all they had. <laughs> um, but anyways, Brody floors it and in a panic and wrecks his boat right into fucking Cable Junction Island. So that that's working out great. So his next plan is to throw the kids a tow line that he's going to hook onto his winch and pull their wreckage over to the island. And <laughs> the hook for the winch for because he throws a rope first and then they're going to they throw it back and they're going to use that to pull the winch across that has this big hook on it. The hook gets stuck on the fucking undersea cable that sends the power to Amity Island. That's why we had the whole setup with the cable. That and what's fixing to happen next. So uh, we then see Sean and Jackie. Anyone out there remember who Jackie is? Okay, good. All right. They're the only ones left behind. <laughs> they've gotten all the other kids saved or they've swam. And uh, Brody sees that his, uh, that his winch was actually stuck on the undersea cable. He pulls it up at this point because he's trying to pull the winch back in. And now the cable's out of the surface of the water. He's got a fucking plan. He takes his <laughs> he takes his boat's little inflatable life raft, and he gets in the water, and he starts using the cable to pull himself towards Sean and Jackie. And uh, the shark bursts right through the kid's wreckage. 
And Brody starts beating the shit out of the undersea cable. Like, hey, hey, shark. Hey, sharky. I'm over yeah. here, shark. I don't buy this at all. I really don't. <laughs> like, if you give me a meal and I'm sitting there eating it and you're like across the room going, hey, hey, there might be food over here. Anyways, I don't, there's so much bad. About I don't know. I have a four month old puppy right now that likes to grab people's shoes and kids' toys and kids' dirty underwear and I can <laughs> fake out like I got something. He'll drop that shit and come to me in a heartbeat. So dogs are evolved from sharks. <laughs> Mine is. <laughs> he bites a lot. I mean, if fucking velociraptors turned into chickens, anything's possible. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so uh, Scarface eventually takes the bait and he charges Brody, but he gets nothing. Because all he gets is a mouthful of cable and the cable bursts into sparks and flames. And it's cheesy, but it's satisfying. Like, I dig it. I dig, I dig the shark getting killed this way. It looks decent enough. Now the shot was set up with, this was the big money shot. So they set it up with six mm. cameras. They were only going to get one chance to do it. And the trigger battery for everything died. And everybody was in a fucking panic. What are we going to do? We don't, we, we, we have everything set and ready to go. We're all going to get fired. <laughs> and one of the special effects guys goes, Hey, all these boats have batteries in them. We can use one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and they used it to trigger the final explosion because they're seriously, they're losing daylight and everything. They must not add much of the crew from the first film here to realize what actual problems were. No, no, I don't think they had any of the crew <laughs> save for our mechanical effects guys. And uh, of course, the shot blows up and the kids cheer and the credits roll. I feel like I blew through that in like 20 minutes. Like I said earlier, it it feels like Jaws 1.5. It feels like a continuation of the first film. It feels like it's in that universe. All of that's good. If we didn't have Brody, we would not have a fucking movie. Yeah. If Brody went there, this would have just been fucking terrible. The franchise would have stopped here. Yes. Uh, well, it was still terrible, and uh, the franchise probably should have stopped here. But uh <laughs> and there's some pretty big actors in the next two movies, too. But it, like, it just it can't carry it. Yeah, this this movie and for 78, this is one of those times I think it's okay to say this. For 78, it was probably pretty fucking cool. Yeah. It doesn't carry with it the the timeless nature that the first one does. The first one's still cool today. Um, right. This one, not so much. Now, I didn't look at money, but I bet it made decent money just from off the name yeah. recognition alone. Oh, well, we wouldn't have got the next two Jaws movies if this one wouldn't have made money, right? <laughs> this People is kept true. fucking going. They kept making them. And I will say, watching this one, I was so excited to go in and do all four Jaws movies, and watching this one kind of killed my momentum, like to want to cover three and four <laughs> to the point where I'm like, maybe we do Jaws part two later <laughs> when we run out of ideas. <laughs> is that allowed? We've never done that before. Um, I think that's allowed, and I think it sets a precedent that we can go back to as a well in the future when we need to. <laughs> I have another idea to add on to that that kind of kind of hits the same mark. Right. Um, surprise you here in a second. But uh, let, let, let's wrap up Jaws really quick. I, I like the first one. The first one was a really original, great movie. Set up Spielberg. Studio wanted money, right? Speaking of the studio, I wish I would have gotten to do the Jaws ride at Universal Studios before it was gone. Yeah. So, but it, it really, it opened the doors for a lot of things. I mean, we have so many killer animal movies that are around because of Jaws, right? Oh, yeah. Sharks have been done into the ground, you know, even like, I, I don't know if it's going to survive editing, but there's been several deep blue sea jokes thrown into this uh, episode already, <laughs> you know, and they fucking killed the sharks in the same order in the same way they died in Jaws. If I remember right, I only saw a terrible movie one time, but <laughs> it, it, it spawned a lot of things that probably shouldn't have been, but it just showed that 
this was original when it came out. It came from a best-selling novel. And someone who was about to become a very accomplished director fucking killed it and set them up where they were able to make three more of them that weren't good and still made money. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like we, we gushed a lot on the first one. The coverage of the first one was a lot longer. There was a lot more to say there. But I think we hit it all on that one. This one, unfortunately, there's just not as much to talk about on the second one. No, Ed gets rammed into the boat and it's funny. Crispy pours gasoline on herself and burns up and it's funny. <laughs> and the shark bites a power cable at the end and blows up and it's Michael Bay. The rest of it's funny. And the shark jumps out of the water and, and bites a helicopter in the air and pulls it into the ocean, which is <laughs> what the fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. But we're talking about beats here. Yeah. We're not yep. talking about anything else. Exactly. Just like they says, like we got some great action scenes here, but where's the story? And I know you went ahead and watched all four films back to back when we first went into this months ago. Unfortunately. I haven't seen three and four since I was a kid. Like my wife always makes a joke when we're at the beach and we see kids on a banana boat. She's like, yeah, I never could be the kid on the back because of Jaws. And it wasn't in Jaws one or two. So I'm assuming it was in three or four because my wife's traumatized from a scene from one of those movies. It's four. So I was like kind of excited to get there. Okay. Okay. And I'll probably still go in and watch them. And I promise we'll come back and do Jaws three and four. We'll do Jaws part two. I'm going to name this episode Jaws franchise part one just to just to show you that we're committed to do it. But oh, we've missed God. a quarter of, of the year as far as the season goes. Hell, we're almost halfway. We are halfway through the year right now. Yep. Look at the calendar. It is 530. It's been rough. We're halfway through the year, and we have given you guys now two episodes for the year. Not counting little bonus time fillers while we had to take gaps due to real life. And I don't want to dive into an episode that we're not going to have fun on. No, 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 no. We, we deserve, we, we deserve better and you guys definitely deserve better. But yeah, like I said, we're going to do a couple of things different here. We're not going to go straight into Jaws part two. We'll save that for a rainy day. We want to do something really fun and something that we would really be into for the next episode since we haven't done an episode in a few months and um, it's going to be great. So that's it for Jaws franchise part one and you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode when we revisit a couple of our favorite horror directors they're the real ghosts you take them with you as usual guys thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word please do not forget to rate and review us online and please send us comments questions and suggestions to our email sbspodcast at gmail.com we would also love it if you could follow our twitter and instagram both at sbspodcast see you guys on the next one thanks for listening anyway we delivered the bomb.